My towels solved a problem that we've all had with towels. You go into the stores and they feel lotiony and soft, but then you get them home and they wind dry you. That's why I made my towels. They actually work, they're soft, and they absorb. And now I'm excited to announce two brand new lines of my towels. What makes them the best towels ever is they're now made with 100% long staple Shapir cotton. This is a combed ring spun cotton that makes my towels even softer and more absorbent than ever. And now you get a six piece set for an amazing introductory sale price as low as $29.98. So go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get my towels for only $29.98. Or you can get my designer premium line for just $20 more. Either way, you save 50% now on all my towels. They actually work. What a concept. This offer won't last long, so please order now. MyPillow.com And ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's going to be an interesting start from here on out. We've got, uh, actually, was, as we come on to uh, frankspeech.com, uh, we're going to have a two-minute uh, just over the hump mark. That's where we'll announce our top news story. Our top news story is that our beloved Cooper has wandered off, and we're off kilter right now. I certainly am. I, I'm sure you are, uh, Deb. Um, but if you take a look at the clock here, we've got a, a two minute, uh, we've got a pre-roll coming into, uh, coming into Frank's speech, but, uh, uh, good morning to you from now on, uh, Deb here. I'm going to, if I put you on camera, you're just not going to like that. Well, um, I have to get ready here. Oh, okay. All right. There we ready. go. Yeah. It's almost as white people at 805. There you go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Almost. Uh, counts in hand grenades, right? That's right. Yes. Excellent. Good. All right. So, um, our top news headline this morning, um, as president Trump hit it out of the park, uh, in his testimony and we are up on Frank. Uh, so if we're up on Frank, we got that two minute reprieve. When, what time did we come up? Okay, here we go. So, um, this is the way we're going to open up the show. That two minutes, we'll go over uh, top news headlines. And um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just um, flabbergasted at this point. Um, so, here we go. You guys ready to go? Yeah, here we go. Previously on the Pete Santilli Show... Uh, should I say Aloha snack bar so everything can just blow up? Huh? That, by the way, when you hear Aloha snack bar, plug your freaking ears. Things are going to be blown up. Uh, and that message goes out to the council for uh, Aloha snack bar, Islamic, whatever it is, that freaking global Islamic terrorist Hamas organization. That one. It perpetrates lawfare to shut us all down. You can't speak of, of course, anyone who's perceived to be Islamic, too. Am I perceived to be Islamic? Should I put a freaking rag on my head and mutilate my vagina? What do you think? Would that be uh, 
perception of me being Islamic. You know, even if we had the money to do it, mm -hmm. uh, even if we shipped pallets of bullets like Joe Biden sending us, uh, we don't have the people to win this thing. Is it even possible that a few hundred thousand people in the Ukraine are any match for 50 million Russians that can just see, keep sending waves and waves and waves and waves of people. Mm -hmm. they, they, they're, the attrition factor? Yeah. Automatically, Russia wins. There's no way that the Ukraine wins. The numbers just aren't there. Right? <laughs> How many Miss Piggies we got out there? The men have failed this country. If you ever wondered why our country's failed, because I asked them to rise up. I asked them to form militias. I asked them to get organized. I asked them to get out of their freaking their 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 bedrooms, sitting online with their with their fake freaking online names because they're gonna protect themselves and blah blah blah. Right? They've done nothing. And guess what? Now, Mama Bear, your children's futures are now in jeopardy. Our nation is falling. What is our common bond truly? Freedom. Freedom. Without freedom, you can't be a Christian no matter what denomination you belong to. You can't be a Buddhist. You can't own a donut shop. You can't drive from here to Oregon. You can't be an American because that's what it's all about. And it's the only thing that it's all about. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's about freedom. There's a time to pray and there's a time to stand. different uh, show clock and this is the first day and there's no way within the short uh, time that i have i'm gonna go by the clock okay it's just gonna be awkward at the receiving end so i want to welcome everybody um man I, I i don't feel well right now i don't feel good i feel just i feel sick to my stomach the, our breaking news headline is that um uh cooper uh the senile dog uh, wandered off this morning and he's never, ever, ever wandered off. Actually, you could literally, um, you could put him outside. You just, he'll come back in three minutes and sit at the door. Even if it's locked, he'll mm -hmm. sit there for an hour. He wandered off. He hasn't come back. So we were just moments ago driving around the neighborhood, trying to look for uh, a black dog. We don't discriminate. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cooper, the talk show dog, right? Yeah. That's the truth. I'm off kilter. I put my tie on to kind of offset it, right? <laughs> I what see that. Yeah, I did. 
Um, so, uh, so here we are. We're on a, uh, a different clock on Frank's speech. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the first two minutes, we're going to do our top news headlines and then come right into uh, at the two minute mark, come into the show mm -hmm. and we say hello and good morning to uh, everybody at uh, frankspeech.com and Rumble. Uh, welcome. And if you're catching the rebroadcast on the 24 7 stream, uh, join us for the live show. Uh, on Rumble. Um, join us on Rumble. Join us on Frank Speech. Get the Frank Speech app, of course. Um, and Deb Jordan, how are you doing this morning? I'm, you know. You know what our talking is? My head is somewhere is? else. I'm so mm -hmm. sorry. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to figure out how we can find him. And, you know, he mm. never wanders too far off. So I'm hoping that somebody just open the door and let him in and is kind of just waiting, you know, but he's been gone a long time. I hope so. Mm -hmm. right. I hope so too. Yeah. Um, I certainly hope so. Uh, yeah. you know, he's very needy anyway. If someone to dump it back out on the street, you know, after. <laughs> well, he's very sick and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's past time for his meds. So, ah. I just know oh. that, you know, he's not going to do very well with us meds for very long. So we'll just. Okay. So anyways, I uh, hate to depress everybody. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sad and scary. Uh, yeah. I, you can never expect something like that. That was just the craziest thing. He's never, ever wandered off. Yeah. Ever. I mean, Never have. You could literally leave the door open. He comes out. He wants to come back in. He's an air conditioning dog. <laughs> He's a talk show dog. Well, I mean, you know, just habitually for the last, I don't know, what, 10 years. And you let him out whenever you get up, leave the door open. He goes, does his business and he comes right back in. Walks right back in. Yeah. yeah. And, and our uh, security camera shows that that's exactly what he did. But when, but the camera, of course, shuts off after the, you know, it picks up the motion. Uh, and the last we saw him, he was standing at the door. Mm. Right, he came in, came into the apartment, and comes back out and is in the hallway and looking out the door. And the camera shuts off, and I don't know what happened after that. I I just don't know, and it's. So strange. He did his normal routine and then he just poofed. Really weird. Yep. So, needless to say, um, I'm off kilter a little bit, but guess what? Uh, uh, have a great interview. Um, and the way we do these interviews, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we get them ready to go so that we can publish them right away after we broadcast them uh, on the live show, okay? Uh, two interviews I did. Um, you're going to get uh, two for the price of one this morning. Um, uh, Craig Winklewitz is an amazing, amazing man. He's available to us. He's literally God sent, and you'll you'll uh -huh. see why. Um, I, uh, as I present this to you, uh, I just want you to know I just kind of kicked the tires a little bit on the way I was going to describe what we're going to do, because uh, who the hell likes to look at, you know, 
financial stuff or talk, even talk about it. Who likes to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, nobody Lots does. Lots of people, actually. It's well, pretty surprising. Well, most people don't. Yeah. Um, most people most are people worried don't. about the. But yeah, crowd, they should be. Our mm -hmm. crowd does like to because that's one of the number one mm -hmm. things uh, uh, besides uh, all of these wokeisms that are happening around us. Mm -hmm. That is one of the number it is the number one thing uh, that and war uh, that we're getting into. Uh, that is the number one thing people are concerned about and what they yep. vote on conservatives usually will vote on the economy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to pay attention. We're right in the middle of a collapse. And what does paying attention mean? Okay. Uh, I started out on Sunday and re remember, uh, Deb, I threw, I threw a chart mm -hmm. um, up and I'm like, what yeah. does this mean to you? And you're like, ah, you know, I, you're like, I have no idea. I was. Right? I was and like, I wanted that reaction, yeah, right? Know. And then I gave an explanation, okay, as to what we're going to do. By the way, this is like, it's free. It's going to be available to everybody for free. We're going to mm -hmm. open it up to the world. It's kind of like um, uh, the financial side of independent media, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, we're just out there just telling the truth about the world that we live in mm -hmm. with regards to the news. Well, there was really nothing out there like that in the financial sector. And, and Craig came to me and he is literally like, I mean, he is like the trader. He used to handle, you know, major hedge funds for the elite, mm -hmm. very wealthy people. Okay. Um, he used to, uh, and he, you know, he's retired, uh, per se very well to do. Uh, he still, you know, does some trading here and there, here and there, but he's developed this software program mm -hmm. that allows him to really see and hear things outside of the visual, visual and audible spectrum. Okay. Right. Um, so outside of that spectrum, there's noise that takes place. Well, if you can hear it, it's kind of like, uh, listening for an earthquake. There's low rumblings. And then and then it gets to a point to where, you know, you can feel it. Uh, you may not hear it, but you can feel it, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then there's pressure on the tectonic plates, and then, boom, it may cause a 7.0 on the San Andreas. Or right. maybe a little pop-off of a relief valve in a 4.3 because you got some, some pressure. But it, it kind of slips a little bit and relieves some of the pressure. Um, that same thing is happening with the markets. And there's an area that you can look into that they cannot manipulate. Okay. They cannot manipulate it. The only thing they can manipulate is the after effects. Like, oh, what's happening today? Up, down, up, down. You get the plunge protection team. They're, you know, pushing stuff up, pushing stuff down. Gold goes up, you know, gold goes down. Petro goes up, Petro goes down. Silver, everything. It's just a, a juggling act. Mm -hmm. But what you're seeing out in the open is what they're, manipulating because they can see it, they can manipulate it, they can press it down. What they can't do is manipulate what they can't see and hear outside of that spectrum. So we're going to start sharing this with everybody. He wants to basically speak to, and the reason why he's chosen our show is because I'm just a steak and potatoes guy, really. And I can translate stuff into a language that everyone can understand. Everyone can understand what I just said. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
as it relates to the markets. I want you to look at the markets in this regard. You're going to hear this uh, in this interview. Um, now, we're not going to break away on Frank's speech. Uh, we're going to break away periodically, but I'm, you know, for, for this particular episode, we're not ready uh, to do the full break. So we're going to continue all the way through uh, with our interviews just because of the timing. I can't chop up this. There are these interviews, um, you know, with such short notice. So we're going to play them all the way through. In six minutes, you're going to break away. You're welcome to join us on, on Rumble um, if you want to continue watching. Now, without further ado, um, here is that interview. Enjoy. Are you prepared for life's unexpected twists and turns? Lockdowns, natural disasters, power outages, or any situation that makes it tough to get your hands on a good meal? Time waits for no one, and neither do emergencies. PetePrepStore.com is the ultimate in long-term emergency food preparedness and supplies. You're not just buying food, you're buying peace of mind. Our meals are designed to be nutritious, delicious, and have a 25-year shelf life. Yes, you heard that right. 25 years. We source high-quality, non-GMO ingredients and use advanced freeze-drying technology to lock in taste and nutrients. Forget last-minute runs to the grocery store. Pete Prep Store is a click away and delivers right to your doorstep. Why risk the well-being of you and your loved ones? With Pete Prep Store, you're always prepared. Make the smart choice today. Visit PetePrepStore.com and place your order today. This isn't just food. It's your lifeline in times of crisis. Don't wait for an emergency to prepare. Be proactive. PetePrepStore.com. Be prepared. Be secure. Be ready. Always. This is the, the the first broadcaster segment in a series of very important broadcasts at probably one of the most important times in all of human history as it relates to the global markets, what's taking place. We're, as I've said on uh, on the show, we are right in the midst of a collapse. Uh, how is it happening? What's on the other side of it? Uh, and with world war upon us, a lot of news kind of drowns out some very, very important things. Um, now, this series, uh, initially we're calling it Market Ultravisonics. Why? Um, as I introduce you um, uh, to Craig, Craig uh, has basically taught me some things over, shoot, uh, we started engaging a couple of years ago, but most recently you've been teaching me about how you're looking at certain things uh, in the market that are taking place that people can't normally uh, see on its front face. For instance, when you turn on the financial news, um, that's well after what you were looking at maybe three or four months ago. Um, the front face of what we're seeing uh, in the financial markets, even if it is collapse or if it's a boom, uh, that is the result of what you were looking at maybe three, four, five, you know, in the time frames that you look at, it'll vary depending on which market you're looking at. But is it not true that uh, when, when I say visual and sonics, um, our ears and our eyes can only see within a certain spectrum. Um, for instance, you know, the infrared or the ultraviolet, our visual range, our eyes can only pick up certain 
photons within within a range. But that doesn't mean that gamma rays aren't taking place. We may not be able to see a gamma ray, but it's there. Um, you know, in the uh, well into let's say the infrared or past that, um, there's a visual. There's there's light that's taking place outside of what our eyes can see. Um, just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. In the audible spectrum, uh, for instance, we can hear, you know, subsonic or ultrasonic stuff to a certain range. Um, I'll use the earthquake analogy. If there's a low rumble, a resonance, you may be, be able to even feel it, but your ears can't pick up on that particular tone. Um, if you could pick up on the resonance, let's say in Southern California, at the San Andreas fault line of a low rumble that you may start to feel eventually, well before that, there was some rumbling that was taking place that we couldn't feel and we couldn't hear at all. But it was happening. What did it produce? A 7.9 earthquake, you know, at a later date. Um, is that, that, that's like my layman's, common man's interpretation of what you do. You can kind of clean that up a little bit and explain it to people. But what I love about this is your willingness to share this with the common man and almost giving them x-ray vision goggles to see what's happening outside of that visible and audible spectrum. Yeah, you brought up two key things there, the rumblings of an earthquake and the gamma rays. It's funny, but some of us refer to that, that exact stuff a lot when we're talking about this. There are animals out there who can actually perceive an earthquake before it happens. How do they know that? You know, it's outside our spectrum because we're being trained to not perceive that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so it is there. Sometimes it's on the verge of our spectrum. Sometimes it's directly in our spectrum. A lot of the things that happen in the markets, we're not attuned to it. And that's our goal here is to, to make people more attuned to what is going on, to, to change that spectrum, widen that spectrum. Hmm. Um, you know, can I add something to that? You always see, uh, and, and I'm using the CNBC analogy, whatever, whatever happens in the market, it's going up like crazy, there's a boom. Or... There's a down cycle. There's a crash. You know, the subprime mortgage meltdown. It didn't just happen in one day at the time you were watching that program when the market was either up or down. Um, there were a lot of things that took place well in advance of that. Plenty of indicators, plenty of signs. And there's probably multiple layers that if you were to say, um, could we ever pr have predicted what just took place? You have to analyze it. There, I don't believe that there's any such thing as the black swan that just drops in and we never could have seen it. I don't believe that. I believe that there's certain things that are either ignored or suppressed um, and people benefit from it because they'll either bet for or against. Like Goldman Sachs, they said, oh, buy into mortgage-backed securities when they knew for a fact it was going to crash. And they made money on that. They knew it was going to happen. They used their tools to analyze what was going to happen, but they deceived the public. And then when it crashed, they said, oh, my goodness, we could have never seen this coming. And that's just a flat-out lie. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Black Swan events 
are, you know, multiple standard deviation events. They shouldn't happen very often, but we're seeing them happen a lot over the last 10 to 15 years. So that proves it right there that they're, that, that black swan events are happening more frequently. Why is that? It's because we're in, we're in the beginning of a failing economy, which takes it back to the beginning of what you were saying that, you know, we're at a very, very critical point in time. Okay. So here we are. We're going to, we're going to set off right now because I believe it's important. If you, if you can imagine all economies uh, are based on our willingness to pull our wallets out and spend our money as an individual, as a corporation, you know, you're going to buy inventory if you're a manufacturer or you're going to scale back your inventory. You're going to hire more employees. But all of those decisions are based on the stuff that we need to discuss every single day. There's going to be changes in the markets. The, the dollar will go up. The dollar will go down. The petrol. And there's all of these layers. It's a multifaceted thing. And they're all interdependent. Like the petrodollar will be based on many other factors. Or the U.S. dollar rising and falling. Or gold and silver. You know, and everyone's predicting that's probably the trendiest thing to talk about. Will gold go up? Will gold go down? Uh, is there a correlation between the gold going up and the dollar going down? And can gold and the dollar go up at the same time? So many different factors that control that stuff. And the common man really is just a recipient of information well after the, the markets or the people that manipulate the markets have decided which way they want it to go. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the dollar is a the dollar is the world's reserve currency. And the dollar is the value of the any currency is the value of the people inside a geographic area. And it's representative of how hard they're willing to work, their culture, their output, their ability to function financially in the world. And so the as the world is the as the dollar is the world reserve currency, it means that it's it, it's currently the most trusted. It's based off of, like you said, the petrodollar. It is the base pair of the currency, and we'll talk about what that means, but it's it's most trusted in all world transactions. People just trust it. Should they trust it? Possibly not. That goes back to the rumblings that we talk about with the earthquake. Talks about seeing things outside of our spectrum, right? But if we think of the dollar, we look at it like a basket, right? So we have dollar on one side, and then we have a, a set of currencies on the other side. Think of it like a teeter-totter. Dollar, and then we have a set of currencies on the other side. We have the euro, we have the Japanese yen, the British pound, Canadian dollar, Swedish krona, and the Swiss franc. The biggest being the euro. So that's a correlation that we really want to focus on is the dollar versus the euro because the euro makes up the vast majority of the other side of that basket pair. Hmm. And when we look at that, we look at what we call the Forex market, right? That's foreign exchange market. So as people transact every single day, we have, we have Forex transactions taking place. So a lot of times we'll look at the dollar in comparison to another currency. So for instance, if we took the dollar as the base pair, we'll call that the, the first one in our in our forex pair, and we take the British pound as our second. That means we think if we buy the US dollar to the British pound, 
That means we think the dollar will hold its value and the British pound value will drop. Why does that kind of stuff happen? Later this week, we're going to talk a little bit about debt markets, or at least that's our plan. And the, the two connect. We have the dollar and we have the debt markets tied at the hip. And the reason they get tied at the hip is because we have these things called central banks. We have um, we have um, uh, commodities. We have the work ethic of a nation. We have all these different things at the geographic area. We have all these different things that, that factor into the dollar, like you were mentioning. And we really need to look at these base pairs and understand the difference between them because those are the things that will tip us off as to what is going to happen. So currency is so fundamental to what we're looking at here because currency is currency will move. Things will move in the currency markets prior to the actual event occurring. So people, someone in Israel senses the war is coming. So what do they do? They exit the, the is you know the Israel currency, and then they move it into the dollar where they feel it's more safe, or they move it into J J Japan, for instance, right, where they feel it's more safe. So money moves where it's treated best, and we measure this through the currency pairs. And the basket of currency. As a matter of fact, if I could. Um, so we're going to take this uh, uh, piecemeal, right? So let, let's this week, let's start out by, first of all, telling everyone what we're going to do and how they're going to benefit from it. And you know what? You could just look at it and at least make it a conversation piece if that's all you want to do. You only have $100 in the bank. You're not going to be making big moves. Or you have a million dollars in the bank and you need to protect your assets. So you may want to make moves based on information that you receive. But it's information... That, that you've learned yourself. Um, so this week, let's take it uh, piecemeal. I love this week. Let's focus on that earthquake analogy, okay? Because you know, and and I'll use the San Andreas analogy. And if you listen closely, and you've got the right tools, right, which they do, uh, scientists try to analyze the movement of the plates. And it will make certain um, noises, right, and signals to let you know what's happening. But there's so many variables that that take that take place um, that will create those noises. So if you can analyze, let's say, volcanic activity, you know, in the Philippines area or or out in the you know the Pacific Rim, uh, there's so many different things that could happen to cause the eventuality of a sound or a movement that may lead to, uh, and do they do earthquake predictions per se? No, if they're listening close enough and they've got the right tools to do it, it's not necessarily a prediction. It's a, it's a, a foretelling that, oh my goodness, certain things just took place right now that put enough pressure, put enough pressure on this plate right here and it could cause the San Andreas to pop at any given time. So let's, this week, let's, focus on that that earthquake analogy if we could um for my purposes of understanding what you're doing all right so let's take currency um if you were to take baskets of currency and let's just take the world everyone can understand this we've got the BRICS nations with their basket of stuff and we've got the you know uh the u.s dollar as the and we've got this this battle these competing forces that are happening and it's unraveling real time you know will the swiss franc go up um 
uh, Swiss Frank. Yes, Swiss Frank. The Swiss Frank. Or name another currency right now that you've got your eyes on. And is it a standalone or is it being impacted by other currencies around the world? And use the earthquake analogy. You've got these plate tectonics happening and pressures happening on, on the U.S. dollar. Whether or not the U.S. dollar rises or maintains its status is going to be dependent on a lot of different factors, a lot of different layers that you look at, correct? Yeah. And uh, the dollar, and if we go, if we back up a little bit into early, late spring, early summer, if we think back, all we heard about was dollar is going to crash, right, relative to the BRICS countries and how weak the dollar was. and the exact opposite happened, right? We, the dollar climbed for the past six months, six to eight months. And it went from a, right around a dollar, right? 1.0 in that basket, right? To climbed up to 105, 106. So a pretty significant climb. Right now we're sitting between 105, 70 and 107. And we're in this range, right? That was, that was able to be, um, so we took, we looked at the past, we take the present, we're able to establish a harmonic into the future. And when we established that harmonic, we were able to see that there was a good chance a dollar was going to rally to the high 105s. And our ultimate target was 10707 and the dollar actually went to 10705. So we missed it by what's called two pips or two measurement units. Um, and, but that was our target all the way six months ago, uh, back in, April, May, June timeframe. And all we heard was dollar is going to go down. We heard constant news, constant news about the BRICS nations, constant news about you know, how the U.S. was losing its value. Now that we've hit this target, right, that's not what we're hearing anymore. We actually had the Fed go on pause last week, um, which weakens, begins to put a weakening factor to the dollar because Again, when we talk about money moving from one place to another, a lot of times that money moves from one place to another is because it's where it gets treated best. So if, if someone believes that interest rates are going to be rising, they're going to move their money there in anticipation of that rise in interest rates. Because it's if they go to the U.S. dollar, if they go to the U.S. and they look to the U.S. treasury market, they say, okay, that's a safe market. I like putting my money there. And interest rates are going to be rising. So the dollar moves up in anticipation of that. Now that we just went on pause, the federal, our Federal Reserve Central Bank went on pause, that means the perception is interest rates may not be rising. We'll talk more about that because there's a lot of other factors going on, but the perception right now is the dollar will not, the, the interest rates will go on, they'll go stay steady. So now the fa other factors start to enter into the equation. We start looking at things outside of just interest rates because the U.S. is neutral and all these other countries may have to raise rates in, re in response to the U.S. So that's money's going to start looking for places to go again. So now that we've reached that harmonic target right in the U.S. dollar, now we have to reevaluate everything, right? Now we're back to listening, like the buffalo, listening to the rumblings for that earthquake. We're back to listening for these different things going on. And so we can look at different markets and, and take the 
the whole story from all these different markets that we can start to, to put together a new thesis. And the things that we're seeing going on right now are the crude oil market, which is weakening. Um, you know, even with all the tensions going on in the Middle East, we're seeing the, the crude oil market is about to complete a harmonic again, right, on the downside. So a couple of weeks ago, when we had all this tension of war, you, the, the crude oil market was, was, you know, fairly high. It was actually trading up in the mid-85, 85, 85 range. And now we have a target at 79.37, and it just keeps toying with the harmonics, like it's going to reach down and grab that 79.37 target. If we, if we blow through that target, right, that starts to paint a picture of commodities weakening. And then we also have a brand new signal in gold, right? And it's a 6.7 6 to 7%, you know, harmonic projected move. And we also have the same thing in platinum. So in, in platinum, it's an 11% projected move. So we start to now look outside of the, the only the currency, right? Currency is very important. Currency sits at the center of this equation along with interest rates. But once we have those two things established, we look outside of that for clues, for that rumbling, for the, the things that's going to indicate to us this earthquake you know, that's going to be important on the Richter scale, not just a little murmur, but something that's significant that's going to be changing and, and can impact your life, can impact your finances, can impact your your world. Right, right. And um, back to the and this week, we're going to focus. You're going to hear me repeat this a lot um, just because people are going to drop in and be like, what harmonics charts? What is that? I'm going to um, tell you. I showed Deb Jordan because I, I had a grasp of how um, I wanted to explain how I understood what you're doing, how we want to share this because you want to share it with the world. You could take this information. You've developed a pro proprietary set of goggles that allows you to look at things. And you you said to yourself, oh, my goodness, it's almost like a, it's a God thing. There's certain signals that take place that when I'm, when I'm looking at outside the spectrum, um, Really, no human being can even manipulate this stuff. They can only manipulate what happens once it reaches the visible spectrum or, or the outer edges of it. But by the time it reaches the common man, the powers that be, the upper echelon, have already taken their money and run to their benefit because they've got the tools, they've got the knowledge, they've got the, you know, uh, the manpower, and they have the ability to manipulate the masses to pull their wallets out and throw a dollar. But you've said to yourself, you know what, we're at an important time in human history and that we the people deserve to know what's happening outside that spectrum and what they're doing to manipulate what's happening every single day. Uh, and this isn't just a regular time. We are, are we not, right in the middle of some sort of a collapse that on the other side of it, we'll always be able to you know, like the Soviet Union, the ruble collapsed on the other side of it. You know, the oligarchs made their money and they were able to recover. No matter what happens, we will recover on the other side of this thing. But the common man deserves to know what's happening and deserves to have the right vision and discernment, don't they? So they do, because it's a matter of understanding what's occurring, expanding that visible spectrum like you're talking about so that you can make decisions in your life, right, that help get you through this impactful event that's coming. 
And that's really the goal here is to inform and to broaden the spectrum for people so that there's things that they just haven't seen before. We want to show that. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because, um, you know, when they say consumer sentiment, you know, is high, they feel great about the future. The market's looking good. We're going up. My job is going to be secure. I may, you know, maybe I'll put something on a credit card or make an expenditure that I normally wouldn't, but I'll, I'll be able to, you know, to pay it off. Or maybe I'll take money out of my account. Whereas instead of, excuse the, the term, swirling it away for a rainy day, right? Maybe I'll spend a portion of what I have saved up to improve my landscaping or, or whatever. But you're going to make decision decisions based on the confidence you have into the future. Every single person has a dog in this fight right here and now. You need to know what's coming in the next three, six months, 12 months down the road in order for you to make a decision as to how to take care of your family, right? Yeah, and that really ties together what harmonics really is because harmonics is an energy. It's a, a you know, we're all connected and everything's connected. And, you know, when we look at the harmonics of something, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to make, we're trying to broaden that harmonic spectrum. We're trying to, you know, show how everything is connected. We're trying to measure connections that are coming together, connections that are breaking apart. But in the end, when you talk about someone may not spend next month because they perceive something bad happening in the future, you're not alone. Right. Other people are picking up on they're sensing that same kind of thing going on. They're they're they're, you know, their caveman instincts are telling them something scaring them. Sometimes it's not even, you know, an instinct. Sometimes it's just there's no money left in the checking account or something. But a lot of times people say, um, you know, they, they sense it. And so everybody retracts at the same time. And these are the things that are out of the control of the government. As much as they would like to hold things up as much for as long as they want, they don't always hold things up. They like to take us through cycles because then that's how they can control things and make money. And again, we got to be, you know, the, the government connected to who, right? You know, that's always the big question. Who is running the government? But, but the, and, and who is benefiting from these, you know, manipulations? But the, but the important thing is that we are all connected and, and we sense these things going on. And if we can begin to increase our spectrum, our range, right, of what we're perceiving, in some senses, it gives us a leg up over someone else, right? That's really what the markets are about is somebody makes money, somebody loses money in a, in a, in a lot of markets. Some market, the stock market's different than that a little bit because if it grows, everybody benefits. If it retracts, everybody loses, right? So it's sort of everybody's along for the ride, up or down. Other markets, we can differentiate ourselves by separating ourselves from a certain market, looking at that currency pair, looking at certain things, and making our decisions based off of that versus just falling in with the herd, falling in with the mainstream, falling in with the mainstream media, listening to what the mainstream media is pushing. We can think outside the box, as they say, right? We can we can trust our instincts over what we're being told. And we can and we can quantify that, right? It's not always just about a feel. It's about how do we quantify this? How do we look at it? How do we extract information that's important to us that separates us from sometimes, you know, success and doom, 
right? Sometimes, you know, sometimes the littlest thing can make the biggest difference. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, the word harmonics, it just internalize it in the, in the following fashion. Um, you know, the Pacific Rim, all right? If you've got a, a volcanic, you know, pressure that pops off and relieves pressure off of another plate, and maybe there's some movement, and you end up with, let's say, a 4.3, you know, in a certain region, um, uh, it, uh, are you predicting that a 4.3 would take place or is that analysis of the 4.3 uh, an indication that it relieved pressure elsewhere so as not to cause an 8.0? You've got energy building up. You've got a lot of movement. And that 4.3 could have been, you know, a pressure relief valve to stop a future occurrence. So, so. When you hear harmonics, it's almost we're listening to the whispering of all of these plates that are making moves that you may not be able to see, it, but we've got certain tools that we can look at. And then we're taking a look at the broad scope of things. And if a 4.3 took place, we can incorporate that into saying, guess what? It, it could have been a 7.0, but because the 4.3 took place, it relieved pressure elsewhere. So now let's look at the basket of currencies, what we're going to look at this week and focus on those. Think in the terms of what's happening outside of my visual ability to see what, what my eyes can see, or let's take a look at what, you know, what we can hear. Things are, I mean, if, if, if energy is transmitting in the gamma ray area and my eyes can't see that, does it mean that there's no energy taking place? Outside of that spectrum? Absolutely incorrect. It is happening. Um, one quick analogy here. I was with a group of people that designed, they were optical engineers. And in the Vietnam War, they designed an arc lamp that went on, on the bottom of a helicopter. And the troops had night vision goggles. And this arc lamp transmitted well into the infrared, just outside of the range where you could see, but it lit up the sky. And when you put these goggles on, it's almost as if it were daylight. And we had the advantage at night. Well, guess what? Uh, they experimented. They, these helicopters started going into the battlefield, and they were being shot out of the sky. And they said, what the heck is going on? We're, we're in total darkness. These guys are coming in dark. Why are they getting shot out of the sky? Well, we found out that the Vietnamese could see further down into the spectrum. They were literally had a beacon of light coming over. They could just shoot it right out of the sky. So they had to go further down into the spectrum when they transmitted that light energy. Um, so when we look at currency and, and you're, you start showing charts, you're, you're, you're saying, okay, this energy and this stuff that's moving and taking place, it should produce a result further down, down the road. Um, energy and time, there's multiple correlations there, right? There's so many different factors. Uh, if you look at a basket of 50 currencies versus five, that's going to impact the, the time uh, reference on a particular chart, correct? Yeah. And the way we break that down, again, if we're going to quantify that, the way we break it down is we have, we have seven major currency pairs that make up 75% of all daily Forex trades. So when we're 
we we look at those. Those are called the major currency pairs. And that would be euro to the dollar, the dollar to the Japanese yen, British pound to the dollar, US dollar to the Swiss franc, Australian dollar to the US dollar, and the New Zealand dollar to the US dollar. For some reason, right, that creates the, the 75% of all Forex trades. Those are trusted countries that people aren't afraid to transact in. Obviously, we look at someone like China. They're doing a lot of GDP, right? Gross domestic product, but it's not a trusted currency, right? We have, they have two currencies, an internal and external currency. They're not trusted currencies. So what happens is people transact in something that they can still have access to China, but they don't necessarily have to use the currency. And when we, when we look at this, then we go into what are called minor currency pairs, right? There's a whole grouping of that. And then we get into the really small countries, like, um, you know, some, someone in the, in the minor area would be Russia, you know, Hungary, Poland, those types of currencies, right? Trusted currencies, just not massive trading. And then we get into what are called exotic currency pairs. And those are really rare. That might be something like, you know, um, uh, you know, some small currency in Nigeria or something like that, right? You, you, you get this currency pair. When we look at these currency pairs, like for instance, the Australian dollar, there's a high correlation to gold. So now that we see that there, we have a harmonic structure setting up in gold, right, we're also going to look to the to the Australian dollar because it may give us tips as to you know, what's going to happen with this gold. We're also going to look at that platinum and what does platinum mean, right? Platinum, is, platinum has a lot of uses, but platinum is also used for catalytic converters, for instance. So, you know, in, in a lot of this, what you're talking about, what you were mentioning is perception, right? Perception, light, right? If we, if we put light on something, right, it changes the perception. So when we put light on the, the, these um, events that are going on, for instance, you know, if we, if all of a sudden climate change becomes a big topic and electric, electric vehicles becomes a big topic again, the perception will be there will be less catalytic converter built, right, for combustion cars. And therefore, that perception unto itself will cause platinum, for instance, to go down in value, right, because that's a main component or a major component of the catalytic converter. So we have to look at when we get these harmonics, right? We're looking at these things that indicate the future to us, right? We can't predict the future, but we can indicate it. And we can actually place targets on it that, are, that can be incredibly accurate. And then we look at what is going to, if we get these harmonic signals, what will be the news? What will be the events that will backfill this yeah. harmonic structure? So it's sort of looking into the future, looking at a structure, and then what are the events that are going to happen that drive that? That's why we place currency at the center. That's why we place interest rates at the center. Interest rates are still a big deal, and we still have to deal with them. And we'll talk about that later this week in our next one of our next segments, because it's very important to think about that. Once we step outside that core realm, we need to look at these other things, right? We're going to look at crude. We're going to look at gold. We're going to look at the currency pairs that match up with those, because mm. that's what's going to help indicate the future to us. Every person hearing our voice right now is a news nut like me. I mean, I started out as a news nut when I was 10, 11 years old. I used to sit there eating a bowl of, you know, frosted flakes, reading the Albany Times Union. And I would go to my various sections of choice, like the political section. I'd take a look at the financials. I'm 10, 11 years old looking at, at the newspaper and, and every single morning I would do that. 
And then I'd turn on the TV, and then I'd see this correlation between news events and then current events. Uh, and I'm going to apply that to, um, let's say, the market harmonics. And, and as we're looking at crude oil and the petrodollar, it's probably at the tail end of a lot of geopolitical circumstances from the Iraq war to um, our relationship with Saudi Arabia, how the BRICS nations are. So we're at, at kind of like the, the tail end of things. But on the other side, um, you've got a new harmonic structure with uh, precious metals, you know, gold, platinum, silver. And then when you take a look at EV vehicles, you've got a trillion dollar lithium vein in Afghanistan that's never spoken to. And China trying to corner the market for the batteries. And then you've got that reverse pressure where everybody's figuring out that electric vehicles is going to put so much pressure on our system. If you prematurely switch everybody over to electric vehicles, you realize the electrical uh, power grid can't support it. B, A, and B, uh, we're now figuring out that it's the equivalent of switching to $17 per gallon to drive an electric vehicle. That's going to have a negative impact on consumer sentiment, right? So a lot of factors there, is there not? You've got these tail end uh, harmonics or the results of 20 years of the global war on terror. And then we've got a new emerging sector in the precious metals where things are going to shape up in platinum, gold, silver, right? Yeah. And we can be looking at precious metals. We can look at all, we'll look at the whole metals complex, right? We'll look at copper. We'll look at um, aluminum prices, you know, but the precious metals tend to be gold, silver, palladium, platinum. Um, those are the precious metals. And, you know, personally to me, you know, the, the whole, you know, the, 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 elect, the electric vehicle thing just makes no sense to me. I still can't get my hands around that, you know. But, you know, maybe, you know, with these harmonics, we'll make some sense of it. You know, maybe we're at a point where we'll actually make sense of what's really going on with these electronic vehicles. I don't understand it. It makes no sense. You know, I'm a, you know, a scientist background. It just, none, none of it's logical to me. And um, I don't understand what, it, it has to tie in with this climate agenda somehow. And it has to tie in with, you know, control of certain regions. I just don't understand it. But what I do understand is that platinum is, you know, showing that we should have about an 11% move coming in the next, you know, four to seven, eight weeks. And, and so, and gold should have about a 6.7% move over the next same time frame. And then we look at crude finishing up this this situ this uh, harmonic that it's that it's almost ready to resolve now. You know, if we get to that seventy nine thirty seven in crude oil, we're going to look at that level. Typically, eighty five percent of the time, that market should hold that level and it should rebound. If it breaks through that level, well, now we've got a whole different story, right? We've basically changed from you know a solid to a liquid and we might be going into you know a highly liquid highly gaseous state with with crude oil in the sense that it's getting more energy something's going on something's changing so why would crude be coming down 
Is it because something's about to come out with electronic these electric vehicles that we don't know about? Is there something that's coming? We could make the case for that. We can make a thesis to say there's a reason why we're getting these signals in platinum and gold, and yet, and we're also seeing crude oil come down. You can start to make a story out of that. We want more facts, right? We're not just going to make a story out of something. You know, it, it's it's interesting, right? It might be valid. We'll pursue it. We'll think about it, right? But the key is we'll take these harmonics. We'll look at the market movement. We'll assess if they're working in these different segments, and then we'll watch the story form around it, right? That's how that's how we do this. Is that's how we get out front of this? Again, we, we get the harmonic, and then we let the information fill in around it. All right. So again, uh, in this uh, first um, inaugural um, segment, as we go forward here, um, everyone recognize this. There's a lot of manipulation uh, and there's some you know, deception. I mean, there's, these people are like almost like used car salesmen. If they see that once, oh, my goodness, the, you know, the petrodollar goes down or electric vehicles, uh, GM is, is revolting and they're figuring out that economically it's just not the place where they want to be. People are revolting against EVs because they were just told uh, it's going to be the equivalent of you paying $17 per gallon. Well, guess what? When that hit the market, that news report, they calculated it would be about $17 per gallon if you were to switch to electric vehicles. Um, sure, you're going to save the planet, but you're going to go broke. Um, so sales start to go down. Um, what do they do? They try their absolute darndest to get that cash register to fill back up again. They want everyone to pull their wallets out and put money back in the to the cash register and just have it overflowing so they manipulate the collective consciousness and they could even go so far as to say well 17 dollars could be bad um if um you know you're paying a buck a gallon for gas but let's make uh gasoline 25 dollars a gallon they're, they're balancing and manipulating and controlling the collective consciousness to falsely inflate the direction where they want to go. Is that correct? That collective consciousness is part of the harmonics because if they can cause something to happen where you normally wouldn't hear that quick little snap, it causes everybody to pull their wallet out and plunk a buck down times a billion people, that cash register fills back up. They're constantly trying to manipulate the collective consciousness, aren't they? Yeah. And just think back a few years ago with Donald Trump when he was the president and there was so much crude oil floating around the world because we started pumping. We started pulling oil out with almost no restrictions. I mean, obviously, you know, I think there was an environmental consciousness, right? But, but the point is we were pumping oil and it got to the point where you watch the front month crude oil market, which is, uh, we'll get into that at some point in the future, but the crude oil market, it looked like it was going to go negative. And the front month crude oil contract actually went to negative $40 a barrel for a short period of time. That means there was so much oil floating around in, in tankers around, there was no place to put it. So if you had a bathtub big enough, you could, they would pay you $40 per barrel to, to take that oil. I mean, who's ever heard of something like that? So it, you know, we know, we know because of that example, we know that it doesn't have to be the way it is now. There's a game being played and 
they're controlling oil prices, obviously to strengthen the Middle East. Why is that? You know, we can go into you know thesis about the Silk Road and the, you know China's rolling in there, and that's what this whole Israel war is about anyway. In the, the you know the energy under the ground, and who's going to control the the lines, the transport lines, and all that kind of stuff. We can go in. We can we can make pretty good thesis on that. But in the end, right, we're looking at these levels in the crude oil market because that is, and, and you know, it's it's hard to state to someone, you know, trust the harmonics, right? But in a sense, we're saying trust ourselves because that is the energy that's, we are the harmonics, we are the energy, right? So in a sense, it's a circle, right? We're really, the, the goal here is to look at the harmonics, trust ourselves, look at the harmonics, trust ourselves. And again, this does go back to some potentially divine, I mean, I believe that, right? To me, it's numbers in the book, you know, it's the Bible and numbers to me, you know, when I watch this stuff. But the, but the point of the fact is that, that you know, the, the crude oil market is coming down. It gets below 79.37. We have a completely different situation on our hands. To me, that's fact. Then I look at the news. I look at the input. I look at the news wires coming in. And that's the kind of stuff we want to communicate. We want to get into a good relationship here where if you're a news nut, you know, as Pete says, you know, anyone watching this is a news nut. If you're watching this news, you're able to take this information and look at it in a different way. Look at it with a whole new lens, right? Shine a light on things that, that you know, you haven't seen in that perspective before. And that's really the goal is to take a harmonic and say, okay, we have this, we have this crude oil, we have this gold market, we have this platinum market that are setting up for something. What's the story? So now we start paying attention to the news. And we start letting the harmonic play out. Mm -hmm. And, and that's how we go about it. It's a totally different approach. It's almost flipping it upside down on its head. Yeah. Now, taking a look at charts, uh, and you'll never, I'm going to tell you this right now, by the end of the week, you as the, you know, the person that's sitting there looking at this, you'll, just like Deb, Deb looked at the chart in the beginning, and I said, what does this mean to you? She's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a financial person. Then I explained what was happening and what we're going to describe outside of the visible, visible and audible spectrum. And I said, and the result is between those two green bars, it's not necessarily a prediction. You've got energy going on here, and it's going to produce a result here. And there's a pattern that takes place. And when she looked at that chart at the end of that, she said it was like the Wizard of Oz, full technicolor. She understood what she was looking at. So market ultra visonics is the, the term that I'm, I'm coining here to to describe what we're about to set out to do. Um, we were going to tie in current events. Uh, we're going to take a look, and you can kick the tires. By the way, this information is free. We don't expect you. We're not going to be selling stocks or recommending any particular purchase. We're literally handing everybody a set of goggles saying, okay, now what do you see? Uh, it's a new way of looking at this, uh, and we're going to open it up to the world. The common man will have that set of goggles that not even the the global elite have they've got tools they can manipulate they can do a whole bunch of things to recover from a downturn uh, but humanity deserves to have that discernment and that vision so this is what i'm gonna suggest we do um i've set up a little community a chat you know place where just off in the corner if you're interested if you're a hobby
hobbyist, you want to take a look at charts and and then all of a sudden it starts really making sense to you. Then it's going to impact your your the confidence in what direction your family's going to go as to how much money you spend, how much debt you accrue, so on and so forth. Um, so uh, we've set up uh, a it's a text alert if major breaking news comes. Obviously, any, anything can happen. Um, but text ultra to eight four four eight three seven five one three two, and then you'll receive a link to join our little community, and we'll be able to share information just outside of the regular mainstream consciousness and social media and on the internet. Um, so join us in this community. We're going to learn. We're going to share information. And then I, I want everybody to say, holy cow, look at that. Look at what we saw. He, he did, explained harmonics. We understand that now. And look at what the end result is every single time, every single time. And I want us all to just rejoice in the fact that we can now see it and we can hear it right yeah and you know the the we're all looking for the truth and hopefully you know over our time together and our work together we can show people a lot of truth that they're not getting through regular channels that's really the goal is is trying to establish the truth right capital t and uh, that, that is our goal here is to establish the truth. And I think that this is another way, again, like Pete said, you know, we're looking outside the spectrum. You have to look outside the spectrum. You have to look for the truth and search it out. And hopefully this is a, a big thing that can open your eyes and, and expand that spectrum. Yep. And then outside of these updates on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, real-time analysis, this is what's going on. And then a deeper understanding through something we're going to do and it's an educational piece that uh, uh that that craig wants to put together it's kind of like a boot camp you know from the bare basics to the intermediate level to advanced level understanding because uh, you, you could probably just shut everybody down with your technical jargon and expertise and charting uh within five minutes you could not alienate them, just go way over their heads because they don't have that advanced level of understanding. We've dumbed things down a little bit um, uh, for good reason, because uh, we have to translate the technical stuff into a language that we can all understand. So we'll also be offering that into the future as well. Join our community text ULTRA to 844-837-5132. And this information is going to be available uh, initially on a regular basis for free. I mean, can, let, me, let me give you one quick uh, story. Uh, before the subprime mortgage meltdown, I was, I was getting paid uh, to speak and I would throw up charts and I was in Southern California and I said the housing market cannot sustain itself right now. The, the direction we're going, it will not sustain itself. So if you're uh, a senior, you know, you're getting ready for retirement and you're worried about, you know, well, I'm going to put a second, you know, mortgage on and go get some jet skis. Ooh, you you want to be really, really careful right now because the housing market is going to take a downturn or whether or not you purchase another house at, um, you know, right before you retire. There was one man, he was sitting in the room. His name was Eugene Albertini. He's passed away. Um, he was a trial lawyer very successful, multi, multi tens of millionaire. Um, and he sat in the room 
was just hiding there. And uh, based on the information I gave to him, he was able to make decisions for him, his family. Uh, he had a $5 million house that was valued at $5 million in Southern California. And he wanted to basically take out money from his house and spend a portion of that equity, uh, his children's inheritance, while he was still alive. And he locked in his value, he, 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 he took out um, up money and then distributed the money to his family. They went on vacations and they enjoyed their time. And he told me this well after the fact. He said, Santilli, he said, you allowed me to look into, you know, my potential future here while I'm still alive. And, and I was able to do exactly what I set out to do with my family. So that's what we're looking to do is to give you information. You can make decisions on your own and, you know, pursue life, liberty, and happiness, right? That's right. And that's the, that's exactly right. And that's the thing that I really liked about, you know, uh, trying to get something going with you on this, Pete, is that, you know, the key is to take complicated things and make them simple for, you know, the people that make this whole thing work, right? I mean, we are, the everyday people are the ones that make this whole system work, right? And the problem is there's a few people skimming off the top and they just, and it's exorbitant, right? I mean, they control 90% of the wealth while a few people, while the, you know, the, everyone else controls very little. And yet it's the, it's, it's everyone that, you know, it's all of us that make the system go. And, um, and, and we need to be able to communicate that in a very simple, straightforward fashion. If we're not doing that, we're not doing, you know, our job per se, right? We're not, if we're, we can't communicate it in a, in a way that's understandable, then that's our problem, not yours. And that will be our objective is to get this as simple and as straightforward and, you know, pointed at the truth as we can. That's right. So here's what you can, you can look forward to uh, in the coming week. We're going to take a look at the, uh, the currency, the dollar, right? Uh, we're going to take a look at debt. That's another big conversation we're going to have probably on Wednesday. That's going to be the point of emphasis because you factor in, you know, the ebbs and flows or the peaks and valleys uh, of the markets. And then you got to factor in debt when you accrue so much debt. Hopefully you can outpace that debt with the money you're earning and, and, and pay down that debt. So debt's going to have a huge factor in how your life is going to be uh, into the future then the petrodollar, the crude oil market. So let's take a look at uh, crude, let's take a look at currency, and let's take a look at some precious metals and start digging into it. But for right now, again, join us. Um, we're gonna broadcast this to the public on a, on a regular show, of course, uh, but join us. Uh, by texting ULTRA to 844-837-5132. Craig, thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to this. I hope you felt comfortable with our introduction here from my layman's perspective. Yeah, thank you, Pete. Thank you. Yeah. unexpected twists and turns, lockdowns, natural disasters, power outages, or any situation that makes it tough to get your hands. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with our weekly segment with uh, Dr. Kirk Elliott. Um, 
as uh, as we've said over and over again, the world is on fire. And when we take a look at uh, uh, the financial sector, that's uh, sometimes it gets drowned out. It's um, it's probably one of the more important sectors to be paying attention to. Uh, but with the news cycle, world war, all that stuff, the the global reset, the election variant, so on and so forth. Um, where where uh, where do we find time? Uh, I remember spending, you know, hours and hours. I always used to have uh, Dr. Kirk. Uh, welcome back. I always used to have CNBC running in the background. Um, now you're, you know, I'm just flipping to so many other channels to figure out what's going on. But uh, um, and you're on the road traveling right now. Um, yeah. What's, what's this, isn't, this isn't my normal studio, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. I reached out to you late last night. It's like, hey, Pete, you want to do like crazy dumb early? <laughs> I was like, yeah. You said, sure. Sure. I'm, I'm up at 5 a.m. What time do you want to do? It's like, I don't care. We'll, we'll figure it out. So oh, yeah. um, it, it is good to be with you at, at not quite our normal time, but still normal day. We yeah. will make it work. We will. All right. So what's. Um, What's what's going on in in your circles? By the way, when you're you're at the airports, right? Have you been flying? Yes. Um, I was a frequent dead. flyer, CNN on all the time. Uh, it's it's just getting so disgusting because you know all they ever cover is just uh, not just negative, but just false political news. It's just almost unbearable to listen to anymore. But. It wasn't that long ago when everybody used to tune in to CNN for their news. Um, yeah. You know, there's no, certainly no uh, grasp on the financial sector, but uh, what's top of mind uh, right now with you? You know, okay, so you, you mentioned CNN. Um, mm -hmm. There's probably 20 podcasters that have a bigger audience than CNN. That's hilarious, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even it? joking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's just changing world. People are seeking truth and some of the old, the old networks, uh, just talking heads, um, just spitting off whatever narrative is coming out of the, the white house press room. Right. It's like, that's all they talk about. It's like, well, that's not real. That's, that's fake. That's lies. That's political mumbo jumbo. And people actually want truth. And so that's why I love doing your show. And it's like, you know what, we can actually speak, um, things that are, that are meaningful and uh, can really help people. Right. So, yeah. so you and I have been talking over the last, I don't know, half a year about uh, bank failures, about open artificial intelligence, um, central bank, digital currency, and how all that's going to impact really everything. I'm, I'm not joking, like everything. So this weekend, um, my CEO Ashley had sent me this text and yet yeah, it was, it was another bank failure. Right. So, and I've been talking for, for a few months now, it's like, be ready. I think bank failures 2.0 is coming. It, I think it's coming. It's going to be bigger than the whole, you know, when you had Silicon Valley bank and signature bank and Silvergate and credit Suisse and first Republic, um, it, it's going to be bigger than that one because we're getting now into a point where globally things have changed economically, right? So what's changed since that first round of bank failures? Well, I don't think that the bank failures are gonna happen tomorrow, 
but I do expect a lot of them to happen first part of 2024. And here, here's my reason why. So you and I covered extensively the BRICS meeting mm-hmm. when, when Putin was spouting off and saying, you know, we're going to de-dollarize the world. It's irreversible. And this is our objective, right? So how, how are they going to do it? By January 1st of 2024, just a couple months away, not even two months, um, they add six of the nine largest oil producers on the planet into the BRICS, you know, mix of nations. Mm-hmm. So that, that for all intents and purposes, kills the petrodollar oh, and yeah. all built-in demand that we have for our currency. So, so that means they're going to have to print money like there's no tomorrow, create inflation, raise rates to slow down that inflation that impacts our domestic economy. Now, when we have people that aren't spending because inflation is too high, cost of borrowing is going up and wages are coming down due to Biden's um, economic plan for America, uh, you're going to have layoffs, right? And and what comes after layoffs of bankruptcies, right? So I think moving into 2024, this is what we're going to see. And policymakers um, at the Fed have really no choice but to either inflate or die. I mean, that, that's just kind of how I see it. So so now we've got two extra things um, beyond that that are make it worse than the first round of, of bank failures. So you, you've got the BRICS nations. Number two, you've got much higher interest rates than we did back then because they kept going up. This is going to cause people who can't afford to live, they're going to miss their payments. They're, they're going to be delayed on their payments. They're going to default on their loans that they have, whether they're car loans, home loans, or anything else. We're starting to see defaults really start to skyrocket already. Now, this, this article that my CEO, Ashley, had sent um, talked about a, a small bank in Iowa um, having to go belly up and go into FDIC receivership. So the headlines say it was another regional bank. It's like, eh. I guess it's classified as a regional bank, but it's pretty small bank. I think it had 66 million in deposits. They had 8 million in losses. And so that was enough to send them hitting the skids, right? Mm -hmm. But, But what kind of a bank was it? It was really catered towards the trucking industry. Okay, this becomes a problem. Yeah, because so. What was the name of that recent bank failure? Oh, it was Iowa First, Iowa, let me. Let me look. I can I can okay. pull it up real quick. A lesser, because, lesser known name. Yeah, I, I don't know the name exactly, but it was a I I mean, if you were to Google Iowa bank failure, you'll you'll see whatever the name of it was came up. But but the point of it all is it was a bank that was catering to the trucking industry. Um so trucking is hitting the skids. And if trucking is hitting the skids, why is that? Because there's no shipping. Why is there no shipping? Because people aren't buying, right? So, mm-hmm. so this is actually in uh, a bigger indication of a really slowing down economy that a bank that caters to the trucking industry had to go into default into FDIC receivership. Now, this actually adds up in my brain a lot because when we look at like cardboard box sales, that, that we've talked about, I mean, down 80% coming into the holiday season, 80% of all U.S. retailers, I mean, so 
how do I put it? 80% of all the revenue, annual revenue for U.S. retailers comes during the Christmas season from, mm-hmm. from Black Friday to Christmas. 80% of all the money they make. So you would think that places like Amazon, Best Buy, Costco, Walmart, you know, these big e-commerce giants that actually are shipping stuff all over the country, um, they would be ordering tons of cardboard boxes to gear up for the holiday season. Well, they're not. Cardboard box sales are down 80%. So it's like, oof, if that's 80% of their annual revenue and their, their, their box purchases are down 80%, what are they expecting? Nobody's going to be buying anything. It's going to be a very, very soft holiday season for sales, which means what comes up in January. This is why I think next year is going to be awful. January, you'll have, if nobody's buying anything, you're going to have layoffs. If you have a bunch of layoffs, you're going to have a bunch of bankruptcies because Americans don't really have a rainy day fund anymore. They don't have a lot of savings because they've used it all during COVID and during everything else just to survive, right? And with inflation and rising interest rates, they, they, they really can't survive. So this is where come January, it's going to be really problematic. Now, now when I saw the, the news about the Iowa bank failing because of the trucking industry, the next morning, boom, it was yesterday, Pete, that, that Citibank came out, their CEO of Citibank um, kind of exposed to the world Project Bora Bora. <laughs> it's like, what's Project Bora Bora? Project Bora Bora is the internal name for their plan to lay off more than 10% of all employees at Citibank, like starting immediately. Is that so? Yeah, so so put it into perspective. Citibank is like the, you've got JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, third largest bank in North America, 240,000 employees. That means at minimum 24,000 people are going to be laid off. This would be the largest layoff in, in Wall Street history. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. So you've got them that, that are laying people off. Why? Because, and, and why did you see this other bank fail? Because the economy stinks. Why did we see all the banks fail in, in round one, you know, back when, when Silicon Valley Bank went down? It's, it's really an easy concept to understand. Banks fail because they have more withdrawals coming out than they have deposits going in and they run out of money. Mm-hmm. What's accelerating the run out of money is, is the basically their malinvestment, right? Because what do they invest your deposits in? The same thing we would invest in, except at a larger scale, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, they buy companies. All of those are, are coming down, right? Like all of them. So not only are they losing money as there's more withdrawals than there are deposits, the money that they do have is, is shrinking because they've got bad investments. And so this is why I think coming up, we're going to have more bank failures, larger bank failures. I think Citibank, being the third largest bank in America, now laying off more than 10% of its workforce and their employees are, are running scared. Um, I think that's the beginning of something big. This is no longer a little local bank. This is not a small regional bank. It's not a large regional bank. It is a massive bank hmm. that I'm not saying is going out of business. I'm saying they're hitting, they're seeing the economy so bad that they're going to lay off 10% at minimum of their workforce. I think that's where I see 2024 headed is 
ugliness, banks are now starting to prepare to get ready for what they view as, as a, well, really a, a yucky um, economic 2024. Now, here's the problem with that. It's an election year. It was Clinton that said, yeah, it's the economy, stupid. You know, people vote with their wallets. If they're not doing good, well, then they're not going to vote for that politician. So what are politicians going to do? They're going to do everything they can to get votes because they don't view people as people. They view people as votes. And they're going to promise them everything with money that we don't have, which means they're going to go to the printing press. They're going to provide stimulus. They're going to provide handouts. They're going to provide everything. And people will willingly give up their freedoms to vote for the person who's going to promise them the most stuff when things are bad. See, when things are good, people like the politicians that are there. And so they keep voting for them. When things are bad, people vote for the politician that promises them the most stuff, right? And so this is where I think we're headed moving into 2024 as well as it's like, I am the cheesy um show you know game show host that says and now behind door number three there's even more right but but yeah. there is and we we are seeing there's uh, uh there's a lot of a uh, lot of move moves being made secretly while still out in the open uh yesterday i heard uh google had a project with uh building some product i guess it was a uh, uh, they were building uh properties in santa clara building out a community they had $15 billion or something like that invested in the project and pulled out of it. You, st you start seeing companies pulling back and scaling back their employees, uh, but they're not saying anything. Uh, and now also I'm hearing, and this happened to me, I have a really good FICO score. I have like a seven something FICO score. And um, I had American Express just arbitrarily just knock down my, which American Express I've always had you know, high limits, they knocked it down $700. And I said, what's the logic behind that? Like, I've never, ever been laid on any credit cards or anything like that. But I called them and asked them, like, why did you just arbitrarily, you know, uh, do that? Sent me a letter. They said, we use multiple factors. They said they use AI. Yeah. They're using AI. And I said, okay, and what is AI telling you about me? that has nothing to do with, you know, justifying a reduction of $700 is just like a ridiculous amount. And they said, well, you know, uh, it's just, uh, we do our calculations based on the economy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. What about my credit worthiness? You just said, based on the economy, how, how do you mean that? Oh, we, we just retract back. You know, if you're not using X amount, they said, um, which that that's what told me that when they said, you're not using your full amount, you know, if you're, you're, your top level usage of your credit card, they scale it back because of the future eventuality, I'm assuming, that if you get in trouble, you're going to start using more of your credit. So they want to bring that ceiling down. That was frightening to me. So, well, do you understand what I just said? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, this is happening all over. See, Biden's been bragging and, and Janet Yellen actually didn't even mince words. And she said, I'm very proud of the Americans buyers that they're very resilient. And even in the face of a harsh economy, they're spending money. It's like, that's nothing to brag about. I mean, seriously, because where are they spending money on their credit cards? 
the credit card debt right now is a trillion dollars. It's higher than it's ever been. So the fact that people are spending money, is that true? Yes. How are they spending it? Is it just cash that they have in the bank and savings and, you know, using non-debt money to buy things? No, they're amassing tons of debt on their credit cards. And so this is why credit cards are the highest they've ever been. But you know what? Available credit utilization, you know, what's left on their credit lines is at the lowest it's ever been because of what's happening to you and what's happening to others. And the fact that, well, they've, they've fully utilized it because they spent it. They've spent up to their credit limit. So what does this mean moving forward? What Biden's bragging about and his administration's bragging about people spending it's going to come to a screeching halt because people don't have any more capacity to spend ah. because their spending is not coming out of checking and savings accounts. It's coming from credit lines that they've now maxed out. So this is another reason why I think the economy is going to hit the skids in 2024. But you had said AI, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so get a load of this. So Elon Musk um, earlier in the week, made this statement. He said, be careful what you wish for. Musk warns no jobs needed in future of the AI magic genie. So, so what is he saying? He's saying that, that with AI replacing people, companies aren't going to have jobs for higher signs, right? You know, come work now. Um, a lot of jobs are just going to be simply replaced by a computer, simply replaced by a computer. Now, I just read an article early this morning when I when I got up and estimates are by next year. I mean, we're two months away from next year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 80%, 80, 80 of all companies in America are gonna be utilizing AI in some sort or fashion, 80%. Mm-hmm. So the adoption rate is going to actually go through the roof on a chart. It's going to go parabolic, the adoption of AI. And this is going to impact the available jobs and what Elon Musk's horrible nightmare vision for America is. It's like no jobs are going to be needed. This is the future of AI. I mean, good grief. Uh, I mean, e- even when I was traveling, so I was tra- I was traveling the last day. And I go into the United Club room at Denver International Airport, and they used to have people that would come around and pick up your plates and, you know, whatever you have there and clean, keep the place clean. They didn't have that anymore. They're, they weren't there. They had this, like, robot ro- robot bucket <laughs> that was, like, going around, and you could just put your stuff in there, and it would come right up next to you, and the sensors would stop right in front of you, and it's like you throw your plates in there, and then it moves down. It's like, oh, my word, what is this, the Jetsons? I mean, are you serious? Oh, but, my goodness. But, yeah, so they're already getting rid of people in replace of robots and computers. I mean, it was a – okay, this is what's crazy. I can understand AI fulfilling – attorney's jobs, because imagine a computer that can look back throughout all the history and look at all the case log, pull all the citations, everything that's needed, right? Or accounting, easier. Computer programming, pretty easy, um, because they are computers. They can program themselves, right? It's going to revolutionize How about creative work? You can do that. But service jobs. The medical um, industry. Yeah. Huge, I mean, pharmaceutical world. AI is actually designing new drugs now, so you don't even need scientists, right? So, 
So, but in the service world, it's like dishwashers, hair cutters, construction workers, you know, plumbers. Okay. You still probably need people, but, but this is one of those service jobs. Like I would call it like the bus boy job, you know, at, at the, at the club room where they come and collect your plates. That's now a robot bucket <laughs> where you throw your stuff in. I mean, this is here's another da- Here's another it, dangerous one. I see it um, uh, working real time. Um, the narrative scripting that happens is all driven by AI and supercomputers. They're, they're like, for instance, if I were go to go head to head with ABC News on a particular story, right? They got a big team. They come up with their narrative. They script it. I can counter it. No, they flood the zone with thousands of articles to change perception. Um, they throw that out into the stream. And it's almost, it's, first of all, it's impossible to keep up with. Second of all, uh, they're weaponizing everyone around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to undo? You know, you can't unring a bell, as they say, right? And, and they're no, doing this bell ringing, uh, ringing with, with computers, with AI technology, drafting, you know, multiple articles on multiple platforms and sending it out instantly. You can't, I, listen, I don't care uh, what anybody thinks uh, their organization's skills are all about. You can't produce a thousand articles on an overnight on a topic and have everybody in sync with the same exact narrative. I've seen them. I've looked at them hundreds on a particular topic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in particular, this, I mean, this recent one with the, you know, the manifesto with the Nashville shooter. Mm-hmm. Soon as that information, I'm talking to hundreds of articles, hundreds. I'm like, okay, how's that possible without using supercomputers and AI technology, you know? Well, I don't think that it is. I mean, I really don't think that it is. Uh, so I can't wrap my brain around this one either. Is you know the stories that we've heard over the last year, um, you know, with some of the, the the government bills that have been passed, they they earmarked a ton of money for the IRS to hire like eighty thousand new agents that are they're arming, right? They're they're arming them with the sidearms. It's like why? Well, in the world of AI. Why do you what do you need agents for um, when the computer can just go through and look through decades of financial information and do a, an audit? You know, just by so the agents. Oh, don't give not, them any ideas. I know. Well, <laughs> dude, they've already thought about this. I can guarantee you. Why are they arming them? So the new agents are the enforcement arm that the computers are going to be telling everybody what to enforce, right? So. So it's like you, you look at that, you you look at I I'm I don't know if your lowering of your credit score was purely because of the forward looking economy. Because mm-hmm. in their own words, you've got social credit scoring that's coming into play. And if they don't like your ideology, they're gonna cut you off from buying or selling. Mm-hmm. This comes from the World Economic Forum, the Bank for International Settlements, and the Fed, right? So so it's like what do you do for a living, Pete? You, you talk about stuff that they probably don't want you to talk about. So it's like, hey, and let, they already have me. Pete's, they already have me profiled. Yeah, let's let's cut his credit score. You know, mm-hmm. so it's going to make it harder for him to buy or sell because his ideology doesn't match up with yours. Neither does anybody else in the patriot, God fearing movement. Right? It's like it doesn't add up to their narrative of we 
we want to control everybody's aspect of their lives, all of it. Now, what's the best way to do that? To control their spending, who they give to, what they spend on, what they sell, when when they eat, what kind of food they eat, all of this stuff, right? I mean, this is this is the goal is ultimate people control. That's anti-freedom movement. It, it was just uh, it was frightening to me that access to credit um, was what they were doing. They took my. They said, oh, you know, your average balance is X, you got a great history, you pay everything off. But they gave me this use it or lose it type thing, meaning you, 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 you know, you bump the ceiling down, uh, meaning that in the future, if I need to uh, have access. But it was some arbitrary, stupid figure that was generated by a computer. I'm like, yeah. well, look at, look, yeah. look at my history. How about if we have a human intervene here and say, that was a dumb move. Why would you do that? You know, so, uh, I, so anyways, um, Warren Buffett is, he's got money coming out of his ears. I, I heard he's got Berkshire Hathaway hundred. Now he's canary in the, in the coal mine when he's parking the, he's got $157 billion he's parked in. And when somebody like that makes moves like that and is parked to cash, is that not some sort of an indication as to what he expects? And I mean, he's not investing, um, as much as he did, if you've got that much cash you're sitting on, why are you sitting on 157 billion? So if I were him, and I'm a smart business guy too, My goal. what I would do is, <laughs> is if I saw, if I saw that the economy was gonna hit the skids, I would pull out now, it's like buying low and selling high, right? That's all he's doing. He's a value-based investor. This has been Warren Buffett's mantra for decades is I'm a value-based investor. I'm only going to buy things that are undervalued. So he's selling things that are overvalued, sitting in cash. Then he's going to go in and purchase stuff at bargain basement prices when the economy collapsed. That's what he's going to do. So the fact that he's sitting on $147 billion worth of cash, he's, he's expecting a crash. That That's all that that tells me. And he's going to buy things um, down the road when they're much cheaper. Yes, uh, who stepped up and had, they had an investor call. I don't know if you heard the audio recording. Raytheon is pumped. They are, <laughs> the, the military industrial complex is so jazzed about what's happening right now. I mean, they were almost in corporate speaking. You know what I'm, what I'm speaking of, right? Um, so confident and optimistic about the future and i said this is, this is not good you're making this public i mean what does raytheon do they they deliver death yeah right I, and yeah the, the future prospects of war i mean he was literally talking about uh future probability of growth and xyz was just off the charts I mean, seriously, when, when you're bragging about making war machines, you know, missiles, aircraft engines, everything else that they make, it's like, dang, you know, but, but here's where the, the economic ramifications of political politics, right? It's like, you've got this, this localized conflict between Hamas and Israel that is growing into a regional conflict, which I think is going to grow into a global conflict because already you've got heads of state, presidents of countries that are picking sides, right? They're, they're picking sides. So we're, we're pro-Israel and now we're pro-Palestine. They're, they're picking sides and this is going to be grow rapidly, I believe, into 
a long-term, more global conflict. Um, and, and Netanyahu said the same thing. He said, no, this is going to be a long, drawn-out war. Um, you know, we're getting prepared for it. It's like, well, I mean, it's it's not like the original Yom Kippur War, which was there and it was over, right? It's mm-hmm. like, this is probably going to be a long one that starts to bring in and and reshape who's allies with who and who's not, right? And I, I just hope that America chooses chooses wisely and and who we decide to support, not support. And but you've got countries like oh, Zelensky in Ukraine that basically said this was an act of terror. He wasn't talking about the missiles being shot from Hamas into Israel. He was talking about Israel's retaliation and cutting off food and water supplies to the Gaza Strip. It's like, what? What, what about the first part? So you're calling it that, that was the equivalent. The people who are defending their own nation. It's like I mean, the the world's just kind of wacky right now. Doctor Kirk, uh, imagine it's the equivalent of I mean, it was their nine eleven. You have seventeen hundred people die like that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a big thing. And uh, imagine after nine eleven, uh, they flew planes. Three thousand people died. People were jumping to their deaths, and then we went after you know. Um, the goofballs in the hills of Bora Bora and bomb them. And then all of a sudden the whole world's complaining because we bombed Osama bin Laden. Yeah. What about what you just did back here? 3000 people just died. It, it, it's so bad. I mean, war is awful, Pete. I mean, people, people die. Um, and I'm talking about not just the social impact of it, but the economic impact is, is devastating. People die. That means there's fewer people spending money. Right. When and what else is happening? It's it's the worst of malinvestment because you could use money instead of making bullets, which once you fire them, they're they're gone. Right. Or or gasoline used for tanks and airplanes and everything else. You could use that money to build an infrastructure to grow your economy for for future generations. But no, it's it's dead spending. It goes away. Right. So war is is truly like one of the worst now you'll have people like like janet yellen that will say stupid stuff like this war in ukraine and russia is the best thing for the global economy it's like oh my word what what weird rock did you crawl out from under i mean and but but in in the immediate she's actually right because when you have war you 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 get a bunch of people working to build up the war machine right but but it's not with money that you usually have just laying around, not being utilized. It's money that they print out of thin air. It creates debt. And then that, that money goes to waste and, and there creates more inflation. The medium and long-term implications of war spending are devastating to an economy, let alone all the rebuilding that has to happen after you blow up all the buildings, right? I mean, that's stuff that wouldn't had to have been spent otherwise that you could have spent on something else. And so... It, it's just ugly. And, and when this starts to embroil into a larger global conflict, and now we have multiple at the same time, what do we have on, on the global stage? We have a war in, in Europe with Ukraine and Russia. We have a war in the Middle East with, with Hamas and Israel that's growing into something bigger. Now we have the potential of China-Taiwan, so another Pacific Rim war. It's like, America kind of has its fingers in all of them for various reasons, right? Um, and it's like, this is going to be expensive and wild and a, co- a colossal waste of money. Lastly, uh, the new speaker. Um, I want to get uh, 
your take is the last time we got together, they made uh, a silly comment. Uh, uh, he shows no assets. He lives paycheck to paycheck. And when they sat down to talk about the $100 million or something like that, it was $100 million that they were going to send to Israel, uh, he said, okay, well, sure, we can do that, but uh, we have to cut it elsewhere. Essentially, they want to put this stuff, here's my, my comment, the debt and managing the debt. I mean, this guy sounds like the kind of guy you want up there managing the checkbook. Like, okay, we're, we're going to put this on the credit card, uh, but we need to take money off of, you know, the credit card. Uh, but they're berating him because he lives paycheck to paycheck. See, I, so I, I love Johnson. I mean, I think that he's going to do a really great job. I think he's an amazing pick, but I, I, can't understand how he got the job. I mean, so here's God's sense, wasn't it? It's not that I'm. Di it's not that I'm disagreeing with it. I love it that he got it. Yeah. But when you look at, at the what happened prior to that, M McCarthy got booted because he just raised the debt ceiling willy nilly, and you've got the hardliners in the GOP that said we're not going to we're going to stop giving out blank checks to spend money and everything. Government's spending like drunken sailors. So he gets the the boot out. You know, then. Who do they who do they try to get in Scalise? Well, Scalise is is pretty much a, a fiscal conservative as well. Well, you had the people on the uniparty side of the party, which is everybody outside of like the I would say that the Trump Republicans. Um, you've got the the other Republicans that are kind of in the same camp as the Democrats, the World Economic Forum, the Bank for International Settlements, the Globalists, right? The, I would call that the Uniparty. And they said, no, Scalise, uh, it's what's coming in 2024. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here the, the conversations that must have happened. Um, like, we need somebody who's just going to raise the debt ceiling and look the other way when we spend money to provide stimulus and everything else. So, so he finally got sick of it and said, I'm, I'm out. I don't even want this thing. So, so then you go to Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, six votes can declining each time. Well, he's a very much a fiscal conservative as well. It's like, man, we're just going to get some big spender in there. And then, and then Mike Johnson shows up unanimous vote mm. of for him. And, and he's probably, you know, he's very outspoken about his faith. He's a God fearing man. He quotes scripture all the time. He's a fiscal conservative. He's a social conservative. He's pro-life. He's, he's like everything that I, I really do like and admire in a politician. It's like, how in the world did he get in unanimous vote? It's like, I, I don't get it. So Other than divine intervention, and this is God just saying, I'm still in charge. I've got this. I've got this country, and this is going to be good. It's like, I can't. I don't have another answer other than divine intervention. Uh, and he's going to be overseeing. Uh, whether or not we increase the debt limit here at the Which end of the month. Which comes up in mid-November, like November 17th. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, all right, sir. So what uh, What do we have going on? It's, it's not, a, not a lull. Uh, uh, we have to pay attention, of course. But uh, uh, this week, what are, you, what are you looking at? What are you, like, silver, I'm watching silver, and you've caused me to do that over, over time. You know, uh, precious metals. Versus the dollar and all that balancing, I'm really starting to 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 pay attention to that and see, you know, like silver in particular, and the 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 talk, for instance, you know, into you know the EV markets and manufacturing. Um, what do you, what are you seeing going on this week? Is it is it currencies? Is it general overall global economics? 
Um, well, I think it's general geo geopolitics, right? It's it's the war. It's the the ultimately oil is going to go up, right? It's down right now a little bit, and and to me that's just don't know why, right? I mean, it really doesn't make any sense. When you have war and you have war in the Middle East, oil prices are going to go up, and they're expected to go up to one hundred and forty to one hundred fifty dollars a barrel. And pretty soon we probably get traction on that. It's not good for us because we're oil, not oil independent. We're dependent on foreign oil still. And this is why I believe it's going to go up. I think we're going to start to see news stories coming out about how there's retailers aren't, aren't gearing up and hiring people for the holiday season Mm -hmm. um, because they're not expecting a good holiday season. So that's going to start hitting the airwaves. And it's like, oh, man, this is going to be bad. I mean, nobody's really talking about how this holiday season is going to be bad, but I, I do think that it is. And when people aren't going to be hired, gearing up for Black Friday and moving beyond, I think that's going to be pretty devastating. But but what we're seeing because of the, the um, Israeli-Hamas conflict is precious metals prices are starting to go up. The stock market is starting to come down. See, this is the trend that always happens during times of war. Um, that malinvestment, that that underutilization of funds for good things, is going to cause stocks, bonds, mutual funds to come down generally, and gold and silver to go up, and that's the trend that we're starting to see. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And as to trends, the people that tune into us, they tune into my show. I say yesterday, I was really overemphasizing if, and you can't be harmed by it, if you're not uh, getting emergency supplies because. You know, the supply chain, something happens with the economy, supply chain seizes, no food on the shelves uh, in 72 hours, dries up. So if you don't have stuff on hand um, and, and, and you do it, as a matter of fact, if our predictions don't come in, you've got more time to plan to set aside six months to a year of food and water and so on and so forth. Same thing happens with your your bank account and your your, your retirement. and where you move your money. Uh, so everyone that tunes into us has a peak under the tent, and now is the time, not when, you, you know, you know by, the, by the time it hits the front face of the news, it's already too late. Everyone's gotten their money and run, of course, and that's the, those are the big guys. But 720-605-3900, do it now. Nobody will be harmed by at least connecting with you, right? Nope. I mean, it's just a free consultation. You can yeah. either take it or leave it, quite honestly. It's yeah. like, but our goal is to help and give you the wisdom that you need to make a wise decision with where you are. And either you you like and say, Kirk, that sounds amazing. Let's do what you're doing. And, and we want you to help us. Or you say, ah, you know, not not for me. I'm just going to stick with my current advisor. And I, I, I don't care. We're, we're so busy, Pete. Um, but we just want to help people. We want to help give them the the ammunition that they need, so to speak, to make a wise decision moving forward with what they have. And that ammunition is knowledge. That's what that is. And so we just want to give you as much of that as you want. We will spend time with you, educate, and and map out a strategy for success moving forward. Yep, absolutely, sir. Thank you very much. Safe travels. And uh, again, positive feedback. I think I've told you this, but I just want to say it publicly again. Everybody loves this segment. They love having you on. Mm. They do. I get a lot of really positive feedback. Um, so that's that's a great thing. Uh, it really is because uh, you know um, 
and, and not not that the the, the mob is kind, uh, but the mob when it doesn't sense that they're getting value, that's mm-hmm. when they'll you know it'll be a little bit nastier. But I get really positive feedback, which is above and beyond because normally they'll just remain silent if it's good, but they're doing above and beyond. So thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule. All right, thank you. You bet. It's my, it's my All pleasure. Right. Bye bye. All right, thank you. My towels solved a problem that we've all had with towels. You go into the stores and they feel lotiony and soft, but then you get them home and they wind dry you. That's why I made my towels. They actually work, they're soft, and they absorb. And now I'm excited to announce two brand new lines of my towels. What makes them the best towels ever is they're now made with 100% long staple Shapir cotton. This is a combed ring spun cotton that makes my towels even softer and more absorbent than ever. And now you get a six-piece set for an amazing introductory sale price as low as $29.98. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get my towels for only $29.98. Or you can get my designer premium line for just $20 more. Either way, you save 50% now on all my towels. They actually work. What a concept. This offer won't last long, so please order now. MyPillow.com Everybody from Al-Qaeda now is going back to Afghanistan to train. And everything that we did to at least make it a situation where you, that's not a training ground for terrorism. Now it's the uh, freaking headquarters for Al-Qaeda. What did we just do but for 20 years? I think, I think what everybody needs to understand right now, in three years, in three years of the Biden-Harris administration, things are now worse in the world and at home than the day before 9-11. Yes. Um, they, it, everything's on fire and everything's connected. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your But one desire, and that one is you. No other will do. I'm going to say wow, and I haven't even started the conversation. What most people haven't heard is the conversation I just had with a, an introduction uh, to my guest. Master Chief, with all due respect, um, Will Spencer. He's currently the executive director of an organization called American Warrior Association. We're going to hear about that. Uh, but he's a retired Navy SEAL Master Chief who conducted 14, 14 overseas deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, Southeast Asia, while assigned to multiple SEAL teams. Uh, he was uh, on SEAL Team 1. A lot in his background. Now, um you know as they say when you stack that much fruit salad into a career and he retired in 2017 uh if i were to piece together uh an introduction i'd be selling himself short um so for the purposes of respecting um master chief will spencer i want will spencer to 
to introduce himself to me and our audience. And I, I believe, and you'll, you'll, you'll see through this conversation, that his most important service to our country is going to be, you know, from 2017 on. He's, he's what I called, respectfully, as I am, an OG, right? And an old-time, right, original um, uh, GI, an original GI, SEAL Team 1. Will Spencer, I'm glad we connected. Great conversation. I wanted to continue uh, in, in, this, in this conversation, this interview. Welcome. Hey, Pete, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Just to go forward with a quick introduction. And if everybody knows me, I don't really like talking too much about myself. You know, I was yeah. born in, in, in uh, the UCLA Medical Center here in California. I'm a little bit behind enemy lines as far as the conservative movement goes, but we're here in California. And I grew up my whole life here. Uh, my father passed away when I was six, which was probably the most impactful thing on my life that made me into the man I am today. You know, that, that uh, the struggle, the sacrifice, uh, the loss either makes you or breaks you. Well, for me, it, it made me into a pretty independent, hard man. So two weeks after high school, I decided I'm going to join the Navy and I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And so I did that. You know, I went to uh, boot camp and then I went to HDA school in Philadelphia. Then I went to Cornell in California, went straight through Buds as a as a 19-year-old uh, young baby-faced killer. I was checking at SEAL Team 1 at 19 years old, probably one of the youngest guys uh, to ever become a SEAL. And, uh, and then since then, all I have done in my adult life has been, been in the professional arms and, you know, somehow I hit it right. Although I did have a break in service, you know, to be honest with you, I actually wanted to be a heart surgeon for a little while. I had this desire to actually help and save people. So I actually have a, have broken service and I was out for two years working on my pre-med and my plan was to go UCSD, wow. uh, medical school. And then 9-11 happened. So after 9-11 happened within two months, I was back in at SEAL Team 5 training up to go back over. These it happened that fast, and uh, we, we were just a high, you know, a, a low density, high demand force uh, as far as the seals go. Mm-hmm. And so, what turned out to be, you know, that was at the eight year mark. But twenty four years later, I'm retiring. I, you know, I gave it all I could. I did fourteen deployments, eight combat deployments. You know, we just tried to get the ball across the goalpost and win. I did two tours at one, team five, team seven. Mm-hmm. I did joint operations tours across the board, board with JSOC and uh, SOCSEN. Uh, the big deal with General um, Nagata. I started uh, with current operations, the um, oper- Operation Inherent Resolve against ISIS. Mm. Uh, we can talk about that later and how horrible General Austin is, who's currently our SECDEF, because we, we could eliminate ISIS coming across the northern border within the first week. And we were struggling to try to do the right thing, but we were shot down anyhow. But uh, my whole adult life has been in service to this nation, to this country that I love, because I've never forgotten how much this country gave me, my mom and my three brothers and my father died. You know, we were poor. My father was the breadwinner. Uh, when he passed away, we were impoverished. My, my mom, who spoke broken English, she was an immigrant, had to go out and get three different jobs, try to make ends meet. But we had, we had some social services. I had these little food tickets so I went to school. So going to school was the best thing ever because I could get two straight great meals a day as long as I was in school. And if I stayed after school to the six and six program, I was able to have another snack. So I, you couldn't get me out of school. So all I did was mm. study and play so I could have a meal. Wow. And in most countries around the world, you don't get that. And that's what folks don't understand. Like you really have won the lottery ticket of life uh, when you're born in the United States of America. And it never went past me. You know, I was always grateful and appreciative and, you know, it, it helped my brothers and I and, and saved our little family after my father passed. And, uh, 
I just always wanted to give back and I decided to do it at the very tip of the spear. And that's why I decided to be a SEAL. And in the Philippines, we had a, we had a saying and, uh, you know, I, I got out a long time ago. I told you I'm a Cold War veteran, but, but the, you know, the terminology and the isms, uh, they're just about the same. We used to say in the Philippines, I mean, we're talking about impoverished countries around the world. Uh, I was gone, you know, for two years when I was in the Philippines, talk about poverty. Uh, and they always wanted to hook up, as we uh, put it, they wanted to, uh, to win that ticket to the big PX in the sky if they could marry a Marine, right? Because Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, because they truly come from poverty. I remember I, I would always get away from the base and take a 50-pound bag of rice and feed a family of four for a month, you know. And, mm -hmm. and, and I was their, their hero. Uh, there's poverty yeah. around the world. And when I got back to the U.S., um, yeah, it, and I'm just telling my story, I'll just never forget. I kissed, I got off on a tarmac. I hadn't touched, so I kissed the freaking ground. I kissed the tarmac. I said, now I know, and I'm a young kid. Yeah. I'm a young kid. And, and that set me on a course different than yours, obviously. I've got much uh, more, and we should have much more respect uh, because of your service and the time that you did serve. But let's, let's not talk about me. Um, let's, let's, uh, let me ask you a couple of quick questions here because SEAL Team 1, all right, when I first, I was going through your background, I know how your career went. You started out, there was no internet. You were still, we, there was, there was no internet, was it? We had, you know, ARPANET. I was on the military's yeah. version of the internet at the end of the 90s, and it hadn't been rolled out to the commercial sector. And that's what I mean by... You're SEAL Team 1. Now, our special operators are using some pretty high technology. That did not exist back then. In SEAL Team 1, when you came out of BUDS, you, you were probably, uh, it was a new concept to have special forces and how they were applied as they, as they are today. Isn't that true? I mean, you came through that evolution, didn't you? And yeah, early you know, the evolution of uh, uh, how special forces was. And, you know, and always it goes all the way back to the Eagle uh, claw mission, you know, um, with the, trying to rescue the uh, hostages in Iran. That's where really uh, Special Operations Command and how we operate today kind of came about. Uh, we learned the lessons from that until now. We always evolve. You know, the one thing about Special Forces is we always talk about how the enemy has the last vote. And so we always try to learn from conditions on the battlefield, bring that back and always stay ahead of the game, you know, whether it's with technology or tactics or strategy. You know, we're always trying to better ourselves, improve our, ourselves to have success on the battlefield because you could do everything right. Uh, and even the most dangerous missions, you do everything right, you can still lose, you can still have significant loss of life. So we always try to improve. So yes, when I first came at shoot, when we were on recall status, they gave us beepers. And you know, if it beeped, we had to be at the team ready to deploy anywhere around the world within 24 hours if we got the beep. You're right. We didn't have the technology we, we have today. You know, we had pluggers, which were GPSs the size of bricks. Um, so land navigation was really map and compass. Mm -hmm. You know, we did things by star. You know, we did yeah. things the old way. And to be honest with you, you still have to keep the fundamentals and the foundation because if you master the basics, and that goes for anything in life, let alone special operations, you master the basics, you're an expert. If you add technology on it, onto it, then you're just better and better, better improving, but you always rely on the basics because that's always what's going to get you through at the end of the day, the basics. As you came up through the ranks, um, like what was your, uh, your specialty? I mean, obviously you didn't become a good, you know, administrator. I mean, you're obviously a, a field warrior. 
right? But even still, coming up through the, the, the teams, you're contributing to the evolution, like in, incorporating the technology. We're talking about 20 years of war that we've had to learn our way through. We had to learn our way through that. Yeah. But what was like your piece of the pie that you said, when I retire, I just left the SEAL teams and I left the mark in this area. What was it? Yeah, I, I, get, I get, well, I, let me take you through the, the evolution yeah. of Will Spencer and the team. So literally when I graduated, went through Army Airborne School and checked back into SEAL Team 1, um, I was literally 160 pounds soaking wet. Mm. And back then we had 14 to 60 man platoons. And each platoon, team, remember Team 1 is the original platoon right. uh, that was commissioned by John F. Kennedy back in the day because of the Vietnam War and a special need for jungle fighters and, and uh, uh, not, uh, you know, unconventional and clandestine operations. So that's right. what we're set up for. And mainly we were the jungle warfare steel team. So Southeast Asia was our operational environment or the ground that we trained for. Um, in each platoon, you had to have four M60 gunners because we, we always trained to fight with 14 to 16 guys to beat uh, an enemy element a company size element of a hundred men plus. Mm. So to have 14, 16 people to win a firefight against a, a company size enemy element, um, you had to have good machine guns. So we always had four uh, machine gunners, what we call pig gunners, and we all carried the M60 E3. So here I am, it was like a bad joke, you know, 160 pound new guy seal. If you looked at my pictures, like this guy was a seal, I look like I should still be in high school <laughs> in all my early mm. pictures back in the day. And they made me carry the M60 machine gun because I think it was like a sick joke. But the M60 machine gun, you know how it was in oh, yeah. the Marine Corps. Um, usually it's two or three guys assigned to one machine gun, but each of us carried the M60 machine gun plus a spare barrel. And we each carried or had to carry a thousand rounds of ammunition on us. And I was so heavy with all this stuff. I had enough for, you know, in my pouches, I had enough room for some beef jerky and some water, and that was about it. Plus, my mm. tools to fix my gun in case I got a jam or the barrel was overheated. You know, I had to bring an asbestos glove to pull off the that's barrel. That's for everybody that's listening that may not have been in the military. I mean, an M60 is like carrying around an M1, right? You know how heavy an M1 is, right? It's a great yeah, weapon. Well, yeah. A great weapon, but uh, that's a lot of weight. I mean, it's a monster, right? Yeah, so the M60 itself, E3 is, you know, 25 pounds itself. Yeah. <laughs> and then every every 100 rounds, a 762 uh, link, you know, it, it's linked in 100-round belts. Right. Each 100-round belt is 7.5 pounds. So yeah. when you add it up, I got about 100 pounds on me just with bullets <laughs> and a gun. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're 160. For some beef jerky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, literally, and we're running around like you, you know, we're running around uh, terrain up and down mountains in the jungle operating and we would train live fire all the time. Wow. And remember what maybe what made me good wasn't because I was so aggressive with the violence of action in, into a firefight or operating and conducting those types of missions was I knew if I if, as soon as I had the chance to lay down fire. I would go through 200 rounds as fast as I could because 200 rounds meant I just shed weight? 15 pounds of weight. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Wow. That's wild. Yeah, I remember down being in Panama. We used to go to, down to the Panama, the General Warfare School down in Panama. And I remember just cutting down trees and branches falling over, laying on fire. That's hilarious. That way we can maneuver and flank and whatnot. And like, well, you get it, man. You get it. You're like on it. You're like first one down, rounds out, getting it down, crushing everything. I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. 
That's so hilarious. And I was in I was in the air wing. I was my 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 MOS was aviation ordnance. I was all aviation deployed weapons. But I you know, I was on, you know, AC one thirties, Cobras, Hueys, fifty sixes, you know, sea stallions, all helicopters, yeah. fixed wing. But when we were on helicopters, we would do that back in the day. If we had too much weight, depending on like the forty sixes, uh like, oh we got too much weight, too oh, yeah. many ammo cans. What are we gonna do? You know. Sir, let's freaking load off some of these rounds. Okay, what are, what are we going to do? No, we're going to fire them off. Let's go down, send them down range, right? We can get rid of some yeah. weight. And damn it, St. Tilly, yeah. you don't get paid to think, but that's a good idea, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maneuver warfare for everybody out oh, yeah. there. Um, yeah. And maneuver warfare where it's real, real bullets and real explosives and real things happening. It's imperative that you have violence of action. You have to keep people's heads down so your flanking elements can flank them yeah. uh, while they're not up and about. And it's actually the f- having fire superiority is 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 at the utmost important to actually win a firefight. If you don't have that, yeah, you can't get your head up to even get a good accurate shot off. So you have to gain fire superiority off the bat, and that was our job, our four machine gunners jobs. To, to get that done in that situation. I'm sorry, I got you off track. So, so let's let's go back on track. So, you started up, and 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 that that I appreciate you telling that that part yeah. of the story. Uh, were you a marksman? Were you? A, I mean, what was your forte? Yeah, so mark did you I'll, I'll go from there. So, really, your first platoon is like where you're you really cutting your teeth, and they're really sorting you out. Because mm-hmm. we used to have you go to a board, you had to do a probationary period, you had to do all these things, and all the brothers, all your teammates had to vouch for you and take a vote. Mm-hmm. Is Will good enough to be at our team? Mm-hmm. And you're either in or out. And this was a time where they didn't need you. Like, right. we didn't need people. Right. In the war on terror, we needed people, right? right? So we opened that door, and we got some people that maybe, mm-hmm, but back then, they didn't need you. They could always tell you, hey, look, thanks for showing up. We don't need you no more. So really, your first platoon is you got to have big eyes and big ears and shut your mouth, learn as much as you can, and you got to work harder than everybody else. you got to outwork. And that's all I did as a, as a 60 gunner, right? They didn't really give me any responsibilities, but to be a mule, work hard, be a great operator, do whatever I was told to do, and I did it. Mm. And then in my second platoon, because I was a good shot and all that stuff, they said, "Well, you're you know you're good at these other things, land nav and all this stuff. And we want to, we want to send you to sniper school." So I got a shot to go to sniper school going into my second platoon, and it, it was uh, in my second platoon when I went to scout sniper school. It's a three month long uh, school. Um, I went through it. Uh, I did I did rather well. Um, I was fortunate, and I graduated as an honor man. So in my second platoon, I was a lead sniper. Um, and, well, I wasn't the main sniper because I had two other pretty experienced snipers in that platoon as well, but I was one of the snipers and then I was also the lead point man. Um, so now you start breaking out as you gain experience into your next uh, operational element. So my second platoon, I got to be a leader by being a point man and I got to be a sniper and start conducting more of the sniper type operation outside from our unconventional elemental uh, seal operations. And so from there, you start adding things like going into your third platoon, you'll go to like stack line jump master, dive supervisor, free fall jump master. You'll start doing all these other courses and stacking leadership you know, uh, uh, roles and responsibilities onto your, your job as you gain experience, as you gain wisdom through training and operations, right? So, and then I went to breacher school to add that element. And really what you start doing is now over time by grinding and working hard, you start adding all those extracurricular skill sets um, that make you the, I guess, more comprehensive all around operator within the special operations community. 
You know, I um, and in the essence of time, as a matter of fact, I got to have you back on. We got to talk more. I think we, we've gotten along pretty yeah. well so far. There's a lot to talk yeah. about. But more importantly, this is a very, very, very important time right now. You know, in your experience as you came up through the ranks and shoot, especially you, that time window, when I say OG, okay, uh, with, with a lot of respect, original GI, right? Um, you came up through the ranks. 91, you know, that's, that's Gulf War time. We were just learning our way through the war on terror, per se, um, learning our way into it. And then 9-11 happened. Now, when you were training as a special operator, special forces, when you came in, your SEAL Team 1, you're a force in readiness. Train, 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 be ready to go, be ready to deploy, right? And you were training, right. and you are ready for, and you wanted, you wanted combat, obviously. That's what you were training to do. But full-blown war on terror, you know, that changed everything. Many, many special operators were needed. And that's probably, that's, what's that, midway or what? at uh, the 40% mark of your career, 9-11 happens. Yeah. And yeah. you're seasoned at that point. You're probably one of the tenured, right? You're, you're seasoned, you're, you've got some rank, yeah. and now, now the real deal just happened. Yeah. What, what, what happened? What, was that in your career, your mindset completely changed, like walking into full technicolor per se, you went from black and white to this is the real deal we're in. We're in, you know, uh, in Oz. No, I couldn't, you know, you know, for me, Pete, like, I couldn't have set it up any better because, you know, now I'm a I'm more mature um, operator mm. and I have so much muscle memory mm. uh, through training and contingency operations and through the FID and other things that we did mm. that when it came down to do it. And to be honest with you, all the real ones that come in for the right reasons, we come in for two main reasons. We come in to kill our nation's enemies and win our nation's wars. Mm -hmm. And everything else that comes around it is just in preparation for it. Yeah. And for us to have success on the battlefield, we have to have proper preparation to have the proper, to meet proper opportunity, and then we'll have success. So for me, it was all the proper preparation. And now we had the opportunity to go to war and it was a righteous war. And uh, I, I couldn't have been, and my other teammates too at the time that were in the same era as I am, could not have been set up more for success than we were as far as experience goes. So honestly, my, I remember my first combat deployment, everything is pretty much like, it's really like training. And I don't know if we're sociopathic or something like that, but we were going out day and night, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. And it didn't feel like anything different than what we did, you know, in, in training in all the places that we trained at, you know, because we do try to train as realistic as prop. Mm -hmm. as we can safely mm -hmm. anywhere in the world, let alone here at home. But now we're over there, you know, getting after it. And we just, you know, we tweak and we change and we change our tactics a little bit based upon our assets and that of the enemy order of battle. But nothing skipped a beat. Mm. So and, you, you know, so you went into the middle operation. Can I, can I ask this question? You went to, into yeah, the Middle yeah. East because now I'm, you know, from the Marine Corps, I always had the, the, the attitude that we dominated. I mean, we never wanted to go to war, of course, um, at the time I was in, especially against, you know, the Soviet Empire. But can you say that you, we still dominated all of your training and then applying all of those skills with the full backing of the U.S. government that you, we just dominated and we were the, the 
right ones to to be there. If we're going to have war, we might as well be on our watch, right? Well, you know, everybody's made for a different purpose, right? Yeah, sure. And I, you know, I think all of us felt at the time like this was our purpose, and and we, we liked our mission, and we were happy, go lucky, going about it. Um, but I, I had nothing but you know good experiences in the best of times, you know, going into harm's way with my brothers. And I got to tell you, like in life, there's only a couple of times you, you experience unconditional love. That's for your children. And then for those who you're fighting with on the battlefield, like you will go into harm's way and save each other without thinking twice. Yeah. And you only experience that within the ranks, within the rank and file. And you need that, you know, grave danger to really put that upon each other and you feel it. And it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. There are some hardships that go with it. But I got to tell you, like, you know, the people that serve in our military that serve for the right reason are there to win it. And they're the true believers and they don't skip a beat and do yeah. carrying out their job as professionals. Yeah. Now I want to I think it's appropriate that I that I add this to it because a current event that took place and I made this commentary and I'm out. I'm, you know, old fat and, you know, less than credible um, when I say this, but I'm going to throw to you and you, you solidify my commentary here. This crap that happened with Hamas. And I, I don't care what side you're on, Israel, Hamas, Iran, what I don't care what side you're on. That wasn't even freaking war. Oh, every single combat soldier knows. How many times have you been called off a target because you had too many civilians standing by? There were too many casualties. You could, right? You, you got called off because you don't want to be killing civilians. You're going to go after a high value target. Yes or no? Well, we make that determination. It's ongoing on a daily, if not hourly basis, on a mission by mission basis. And actually, even up to like going on the button on the X, we'll make that decision as well, you know, depending on our ISR capability and what feeds we, we can watch to see it. But the reason why, uh, like our force, like I've seen, including myself, I was usually on the initial entry team on all the assaults that I've been on. Um, even as a leader, as a chief and a senior chief or a troop chief, um, we go on the ground and we put ourselves even more so in harm's way to get shot in the face mm. so that we can surgically decide who's the enemy, who's a combatant, who's not a combatant. Okay. And it's happening within split nanoseconds. Yeah. And so we're trained to that level to identify threat, identify threat, hands, nothing, hands, nothing, hands, nothing, go, 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 and go right. through it. Hold on a second. Let me, let me describe something here, what you were just saying. Uh, yeah. Not that I'm a translator, but uh, everyone that's hearing this, you go into a building and you're clearing rooms and you got people in there. You got a woman with a baby, not a threat, not a combatant. Millisecond, 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 millisecond. Friend or foe, friend yeah. or foe, friend or foe. And you're plunking through it. You don't go out there and blast 1,700 right. civilians and throw women in cars and rape them. That's not war, that's correct? Right. No, that's not war. And that's why they're called terrorists. And we're actually the good guys. And, you know, I've had friends that have passed on because we're literally risking ourselves, you know, 10 to 100x trying to determine the difference between combatants and non-combatants. We're there not just to eradicate the bad people, but to save civilian lives. And that's why we put our boots on the ground. Um, why are Navy SEALs the force of choice? Because we train, we train, we train. And we hold each other to a high standard to be able to do that. You know, if we could just drop bombs on any, any building and there's no X-ray, ISR, or, you know, or drone out there that can see through a rooftop, right. we just do that, right? If we didn't care, if Hamas had the capability of Israel, they would bomb and kill everybody and wouldn't even care. Yeah. Um, 
they they would rather kill civilians. You know, I spoke about Hamas the other day. I mean, terrorists are like this. They will, and I've had this experience in Afghanistan when we do call outs. You know, they'll send their women and children out, and they'll come in right behind them as we're coming out to escort the women or children back into a, a secured position, and they'll shoot through their own women and children to try to get one or two of us. Disgusting. That's how they are. They will shoot through their women's skirts. They will shoot through their baby's cribs because they have this belief system that they're going to be rewarded in heaven for doing so and that somehow they're in the right because it's such a perverse uh, faith um, backing up their actions. We don't have that as a good guys. We actually will die. I, I have a friend who got shot in the belly in Afghanistan because what we do after we secure a target is we'll separate the women and children. We'll try to console them. Sometimes we'll bring in a female engagement you know, officer to sit there and try to calm them down or whatnot because we know it's tough business. We know it's, yeah. it's traumatizing. We know it's it's horrific. You know, war and conflict is tough, and mostly it's hardest on the civilians. So we try to limit that as best we can. But we have to be surgical, and it is deadly. Um, but I have one of my friends who, because this is how Americans are, we have the biggest hearts. We do the most good in the world for everybody. But we'll fight when it comes down to fight, and we right. fight to win. Right. But with women and children, you know, we're a little more careful and cautious. We're not as thorough in searching them and checking them and looking around for them because we take it for granted that maybe they're going to be a little more, you know, compassionate, caring or whatnot. But it's not like that on the other side of the world. And one of my friends, after we put the women in the room with their children, they were being nice. We were working on other things. She pulled out an AK from underneath the pillows that she had and shot him through the belly underneath his body armor and killed him. Mm -hmm. They, it's a different world out there in the third and fourth world country, especially when they have uh, a, a radical Islamist mindset. Um, yeah. And that's something everybody needs to understand. They don't think like us. They don't, they don't live like us. They don't no, believe and we like have we believe. To, you know, and we, I think we have to, uh, we have to have that conversation. For instance, even in our political environment, um, you know, we're so split, right? Like if the left is doing really terrible things to the right, well, what's the right going to do? You're going to go back and reciprocate. If you believe that what's being done is unjust, uh, that it's done for political purposes, almost like political terrorism, are you going to reciprocate or, and, and be a bad guy just like them? Or are you going to rise above it and say, you know what, we believe in law and order? Are we going to, you know, impeach Biden because Trump was impeached? Or are we just going to follow the law and say impeachment's appropriate? So I think we need to to really have the discussion and exemplify and say, you know what, we're, we're not these people. We got a good PR opportunity to win hearts and minds to say, this is how these people operate. Here's how we operate. Here's what the difference is. We treasure life. They have zero regard for life because they've been brainwashed to believe that they're gonna go have, you know, uh, a different place off this planet. They have total disregard for human life. We treasure life here on earth. And that's yeah, the you know that that's just a sad truth. And it's you're right truth. about in our own country. Just to touch upon that, we can't tit, you know tit for tat each other down the drain. You know, a uh, house divided cannot stand. And this political tit for tatting, you know, you're on the left, I'm on the right. I would tell you that probably eighty percent of Americans are just right there in the in the center. You know, they're here for the right reasons. They share the same principles and virtues and values that all Americans share. We want we want freedom. We want liberty. We want the pursuit of happiness. We want more opportunity and equal opportunity for that of the people that we love, especially our children. But that doesn't mean equal outcomes, right? But what you have on the fringes of the far left, the far right, 
are these very loud and outspoken people trying to pull and sway people to one side or the other. But what I would tell you in looking at the world and looking at what I've seen throughout the world, America is the beacon of hope and light in the world. We do the most good despite the folks that have their own personal agendas for power or for or to enrich themselves. The general run-of-the-day hardworking taxpayer-paying American citizen are the same and they want the same thing and they're for they're a force for good yeah and that's just and, the truth and not to call it superiority but uh we could call it and really feature and highlight moral um what what, what is a, a better word than um um more high ground i had the word in my head i'm having a joe biden moment sorry um uh, but, you're OG. Uh, you're an OG. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. Um, you know. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The the moral well, high ground. We'll call it the moral high ground. But um, um, you know, it, we we have to be uh, that that example of what we say we are. You know, we we have to be that 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 living example. If we say we are the beacon of hope, we are a people of law and order, and you know, peace through strength and all that stuff. Um, we have to be that example. And when somebody does wrong, we need to call them out and say, no, no, th th what they're doing is, is that's not war. We want no part of that. Uh, no, nobody should exist killing that many civilians in any theater. I don't care what your ideology is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, war and conflict is tough because, you know, even in a war on terror, which took two decades, you know, almost 2 million civilians died in a prolonged conflict. That's why, yeah, if you ask me, I'm against war. Mm -hmm. I I disagree with war. It's it's a series of atrocities and mm -hmm. and things that humanity doesn't need to face. But the problem is when all talking and logic has ceased, and it comes to that, it, it comes to that, and there has to be a winner. And to win, a lot of people have to suffer, and many people have to die, and that's just a hard fact of war. So we need to do everything we can to avoid it. But if you must go into war, for instance, like right now, that's happening in Israel. I mean, they were thrusted into it. You know, they had no choice but to act on what happened to them from Hamas. You know, almost 1,500 of their own citizens dying in such a way. Think about us in 9-11, you know, 19 terrorists killed 3,000 America, Americans in one day. And we stepped off in a two-decade-long conflict that took 2 million civilian lives. So in comparison, you know, they half half the amount of civilians died in one day during the Al-Aqsa flood operation. Yeah. And their country is a lot smaller than ours. You know, they don't have 330 million Israelis there and, you know, and Jews in Israel, right? So in proportion, that was a pretty big attack on their own soil. And then to the, to the degree in which Hamas carried it out, there has to be a retaliation that I think Hamas knew that there was going to be a significant retaliation, maybe not to this degree. And that's probably why they took so many hostages thinking, Hey, if we bring all these hostages back, negotiate. they're not going to bomb the shit out of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And Israel's like, no, nope, we're still going to bomb the shit out of you because of what you did was so egregious. It needs this and, type of reaction. And I don't uh, advocate for worry either. I, as a matter of fact, I don't yeah. think the problems that are upon this world, this globalism, this thing that's this infected every single institution, um, you know, that we've ever built here in the United States. You know, we're no longer a constitutional republic. We can't shoot our way out of that. Uh, so uh, combat and war is not going get to get us out of our current situation. But uh, after 9-11, I think it's ridiculous to have a discussion and to hear anybody say, oh, we got to tell Netanyahu with the UN or Joe Biden and call off uh, Netanyahu. Can you imagine calling us off after 9-11? You took right, right. uh, 3,000 souls. 
Nothing's going to stop us. And we're still chasing after that dragon, aren't we? You can't call people off. You take out 1,700 people like that, you better accept the consequences because they're coming. They're coming. Yeah. No, you're right. right. And the way I see it now and what's going on over there, I mean, look, the whole world's almost on fire right now. We're at the precipice of a third war because of our foreign entanglements, right? Yeah. But with what happened, they had they had the moral high ground to react in the way they did and to protect their citizens to also deter further attacks on their soil. And if it comes down to another, you know, six day war, like what happened what seventy nine, where all the Arab states rise up against them, then that's a fight they're willing and I think willing to to take on because they're surrounded by the enemy they are. Not, wants nothing more than to kill them. And if America honestly America would be more like America should be if we were surrounded by the enemy. The sad fact is that we have Mexico to our south, oh, yeah. who we're being invaded from, but not just from Mexico, from all other countries around the world coming up to our southern border. And we should talk about our border crisis, which is not only diluting Americans and our resources, but it's it's distracting us to a point where we're being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Where now your vote after serving your country and doing all the right things your whole life counts the same as a legal immigrant who will never assimilate to our country, who doesn't care about you, but will take everything from our country, but never get back. Those types of people are protesting for uh, Palestine in the streets today. Mm-hmm. America is not first in their mind. America will never be first, but they're coming across the southern border and elsewhere, and they don't care about America. That's mm-hmm. a problem. That's a bigger problem than us fighting in Ukraine. Anyhow, my point is, if we were surrounded by the enemy, if we knew that we're always in the fight, we didn't have Canada to the north, Atlantic to, to the east, and Pacific Ocean to our west. We would be smarter. We'd yep. be sharper. Yep. We'd be stronger. We would be fitter. Yep. We wouldn't be so lackadaisical, more, complacent. And more soft. united, like nationalism that they 100%. consider to be a bad thing. We would be much more united and have a greater appreciation for, hey, what does that flag represent? I don't care what your politics are. We're going to defend our principles, right? Our way of life. Hey, hey Pete, we, we hit this on the very beginning, right? So I, I didn't leave my hometown of Los Angeles until after two weeks after high school and I joined the Navy, right? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about my time overseas, your time in the Philippines and Southeast Asia, right? Right. And I wish every American can get out of America. Swear. But not go to, not go to Cancun, you know, Cancun or the Cayman Islands or some Fiji. Go to a third and fifth world country and see yeah. how 80% of the world really lives on yeah. $1 a day. Yeah. Where basically you could get macheted by saying the wrong thing or getting to the wrong confrontation where no one cares about you. You could get snatched up in trunk monkeys and gone tomorrow. You have no rights, no say. You're poor as heck and the rich people are taking everything from you. The tyranny is the natural order of things. Yeah. And then they come back and like you said, they would kiss the tarmac, they would kiss the ground and be like, I love America. It's like, what was that one basketball player that got incarcerated in Russia? Remember? Yeah, yeah. Was Never it, heard uh, from Arizona? Yeah, yeah. Shoot. Yes. Uh, what, Horrible. Uh, Brit, uh, Brittany, whatever. Yeah. Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner. Griner yeah. or something like that. Hated America. She was the person, you know, Black Lives Matter, to yeah. fund the police movement, would, would, would take a knee during the singing of the Star Spring banner. Man, when they got her released from Russia, she came back. She was like, I love America. <laughs> yeah. I, now you appreciate America. Yeah. Now you appreciate America. Now it means something to you. It wasn't enough before all that you had, your great life and everything, just playing a sport. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Everybody needs to contrast or they need to read more. 
Because yeah. I think everybody's forgotten what it takes to have what we have. Listen, and this is uh, this first introduction. That's why I say I want to. I want you to come on because I believe. Uh, even, you know, myself, I consider myself to be one of our, one of our elders that came from a generation that, you know, we, I remember as a young kid being out in the public square, Remsen uh, Street, where my grandparents were, and we'd go to a 4th of July parade and everybody would be waving their flags and you didn't, you didn't know who the Democrats and the Republicans were. You know, the national pride, the contributions that every single citizen was making. I came from a family of Italian immigrants. You know, that we were boot, you know, we pull yourself up by the by the bootstrap. We come from that generation and we're now the elders. They're going to say, hey, you freaking woke tards right now. We're going to suspend your freaking stupidity until we can get through this. Stop your bull. Start appreciating what we have because we're about to lose it. We're about to yeah. lose it. No, I'm sorry. We're not about to lose it. You're about to give it away. You're about yeah. to surrender it for for what? For diversity, equity and Stop it. Stop the bullcrap. And we need some voices of reason at this point from our elders to the younger generation or the lesser knowing privileged uh, people. Right. Don't you agree? Well, I know you're, no, you're spot on, you know, and, and, and you can't just sit back and be comfortable and go golfing on the weekends, pretend like no. nothing's happening. Like we're literally we're literally giving it away and imploding from the inside. And, and that's just the truth, you know, and. Most of our adversaries, little our enemies, see this and they know that all we gotta do is contain America. We don't gotta fight America. There's no there's no, no transatlantic, you know, threat to us where someone's coming across the ocean to no. take a shoreline and storm the beach and attack America. They're just sitting back containing us and allowing us to implode socially, culturally, economically. We got politicians that are spending like there's no tomorrow. 113 trillion, 113 billion dollars Ukraine when we're already thirty three trillion dollars in the red. You know, we still have people spending like we're thirty-three trillion dollars in the green, uh, and our and our adversaries and competitors see that they realize like it's just a matter of time now because we have the wrong leaders in office today than ever before who are leading us down a path. They're kicking that can down the road, and that can start off as a coke can, and now we here we are ten years later, and it's the size of the Empire State Building, and no one has the answer for it except that we're going to implode. You know who understands this the most? You go down to South Florida. You go down to a place where there's actually immigrants from a socialist or communist Cuba. nation, oh, yeah. and they're more on fire than a, an OG from America. You know who else? Who, whose parents? Yeah, I was. You know who else? I was in Washington D.C. on January 6th. And I've never got involved in any of that bullcrap that was going on, but I was there. I'm a, I'm a patriot. I'm I'm going to go to any patriotic gathering, of course. Um, the Chinese, the communists, I mean, the people like the Falun Gong, they were the biggest group of patriots, best organized, yeah. like, we know what communism is. You need to yeah. stop. They were the great, some of the yeah. greatest patriots on the ground there. Cuba, Chinese communists, they know exactly what's upon us right now. They, they, they lived it. You know, my friend Drago, who I did a couple of deployments with into Iraq, he was actually placed in a Polish uh, gulag camp before he immigrated to America, became a citizen, and he ended up becoming a, a SEAL. Did most of his time over at the East Coast, and we operated together overseas. But he was a, he's a great operator, just a great, hard, good man. But, oh, man, he loved America. Oh, he appreciated America. He was put in a gulag because they were communists or socialists, and his family was not. So for no reason except we just don't like your last name, so we're going to re-educate you, you know, with a stick. Yeah, right. And they take you away in the middle of the night. That's it, you know. Uh, my, people don't realize it. That, that could, it could happen. 
my family and I, you know, and I appreciate you staying with me. I thought we were going to do a 30 minute interview. That's impossible um, for what we're talking about. Uh, thanks for staying with me. My family fled my dad. Okay. Uh, my, or my stepfather. Um, he watched Mussolini and Hitler in a freaking parade in Italy. My grandfather fought World War II and fled fascist Italy. When I was, I, I had to learn how to speak English. Growing up, I was the first born here. But my DNA is, oh my goodness, this is the land of opportunity. We love this place and we know yeah. the difference. We know what we, what we came from. But the immigration system, uh, let's, let's shift gears here, all right? Um, two, two things I want to talk about um, before we get into Im immigration, the elders, back to the elders. I have so much respect for veterans. I got so, and I, I will support your organization, any organization you have. I want to support you for taking care, taking care of our, our, our veterans, those that have served. But I, I'm looking at the landscape. Like you go on YouTube and you see all these guys that are out there on social media, they're former you know, uh, special forces operators. And, you know, they're, they're talking the lingo. They're in their little circle jerk telling war stories. And I'm like, come on, guys, snap out of that. Let's go. I, I appreciate it. And I respect your service and everything. Now is the time you need to be serving our country. Now we need some good, strong leadership. You said you're running for office. What's his name? Eli Crane. He went to D.C. That kind of service to our country. We need our special forces operators that they really need to have that purpose, and they do. You come out of the service after, you know, you came out in 2017, you're probably going to spend the next 10 years finding something really important to do. You need that because you're, you're, you're genetically, you know, modified uh, to do really, really important things. And psychologically, you have to be part of that. I want our special forces, our special operators, right now we need them so badly. Right now we need them the most. Those with combat veterans. You got guys out in the hills in Idaho. You know, I understand they're drinking, they're self-medicating and stuff like that. I want them to get help and we need them strong right now. Now's the time we need them strong, don't you? Well, you know, Pete, Pete you know, like, there's a reason why, you know, and I haven't announced if I am not, I'm just doing my homework right now. I'm deciding if I'm going to, but I'm definitely in my second season or third season of service right now. I'm always giving back. I have a lot of skin in the game, probably just like you, you know, I have three sons and I, and I really do want them to have a season of peace in their life. I really do want them to have a strong America to live in. I really do want them to have equal opportunity to, to pursue the things that they wish and dream about. And I want them to have the liberty and freedom that I breathe in my life for a, a bit of time, you know? And it's not a time to give up. It's a time to lean forward and get frontside focused on fixing America and saving us because we are, we are being torn up from the inside, not from the outside. The outside things are just distractions while we're eating each other up on the inside and, you know, inspired and, and inflamed and fueled by the Soroses or the, the folks of Black Rocks or whatnot, the people with money that are lobbying for the destruction of America for their own gain. Um, can I can I ask you a quick can I ask you a yeah. quick question? How many times have you been in a, in a scenario where you were in an uh, just because of the circumstances in an untenable, unwinnable situation and cheated death, but you got out of it because that's what your trained condition, your mindset is? Have you ever been in a scenario like that? Um, yeah, things slow down. You go back to your muscle memory. You go into automatic mode, and uh, numerous of times, you know, I've I've been in gunfights from 
here, you know, about 10 feet away. And then, you know, 20 feet away, we're throwing grenades at each other type stuff. Yeah. But, but I always think we're going to win. You never have self-doubt. That's the one. I never Bingo. go, on. Oh, we're going to lose this one. You never go in with self-doubt. Bingo. Bingo. There is no scenario that we could ever be in. This bull crap that I hear, oh, my goodness, I don't know if we're going to be able to get our way out of this. Oh, comedy is going to Are you kidding me? Snap the frig out of that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah, matter. That's that defeatist I, attitude, that defeatist mindset that you want to put in your head. It's infectious. That's where we need leadership. If Congress sucks, you go take it over and run the place like it needs to be run. You know, we're yeah, not you know, in, a, in a bad situation we can't get out of. Plenty of people have. People have fought and died in those scenarios. They didn't say, oh, my God, we're not going to win. Well, you know, we're not supposed to have career politicians. You know, politicians in America, remember, we're... We came from, we were, we rebelled against tyranny and that's not what we wanted to live under. We know that human beings, you know, sinful by nature, whatever you want to call it, they have a shadow we sided in them. If you want to consider psychology, things, think Sigmund Freud and all that. When you start putting groups of people, organizations, and you call them government, they become collectively, you know, a devious to a degree, or they can be. And as that government grows, they can be collectively more devious or more corrupt as they grow because it all comes down to the human condition. And so our founding fathers never really wanted, you know, a large government. And we didn't want people who wanted to be careerists in the government. You know, you, you ran a business, you ran a farm, you did whatever. You went to, for public service, you served your time, just like George Washington. But then he wanted to go back to Mount Vernon and attend to his business and to his fields and to all of his business schemes that he was doing. He didn't want to stay in public office. So it was back in the day, and everybody needs to remember this. When someone wanted someone to represent them, they had to go to George. Like, hey, George, we really need you for this. He'd be like, oh, man, I really don't want to. You know, I got a you know, fence to fix. I got this to do. I'm trying to buy these horses and turn the buck, you know, whatever. But the reason why they go to George, because he knew he was a guy that he said he was going to be there at 5 in the morning to help you dig a ditch. He was there at 5 in the morning to dig a ditch. If he said he was going to help you with the crops that year and help with the harvesting, he was there to help you with the crops. He was a man of his word. He was a, she was a woman of his word. Whatever you want to say. Those aren't the people we have in office today. And that's on both sides. Mm. The politicians we have today aren't straight shooters. They, they realize that you have to be a snake to get by. You have to be able to bold face look of another American in the eyes and lie to them and to get by, to get what you want, to get to the level of being in office. And that's a dynamic that goes against a republic, a uh, constitutional republic, where you have people that are re representing the people properly and in their best interest. We're not being represented in our best interest. As one of many examples, when you send $113 billion to Ukraine that we don't have, when our schools, you could have a security guard in every school to protect them against active shooters with that kind of a budget, um, but you're, you're gonna send that over to Ukraine who wasn't our ally. I, in two decades of conflict, I never had one Ukrainian to my left or right in the war on terror. Yeah, Where were a, the Ukrainians? That's a pretty not great ally. Point. That's a pretty significant point right there. In They're 20 years, ally. 20 years of combat and the war on terror, when were you side by side with the Ukrainian? They were never with us. They didn't wow. give us one damn dollar. And wow. everybody needs to remember that. And let's go all the way back to history. You know, World War II, and I'm not against anything. I'm more like George Washington. I'm against foreign entanglements to no end yeah. that deplete our resources, string us out, and make us weaker. Yeah. And then takes away from what we could be doing for our children, the future generations of Americans. That's I'm right. against that. Yeah. I'll go to war if we have to, but we don't have to get entangled in every little thing for the purpose of people's agendas. But 
if you look at Ukraine, we go a little bit back in history, talking about like our forefathers that fought in World War II. My father was a junior in high school up here in Whittier, California. He lied about his age as a junior, fought in the Pacific campaign in the army during World War II. After World War II ended, he finished, he went back to high school, finished his senior year as a 20 year old. Can you imagine? That's the greatest generation. That's right. That's it. And they didn't, they didn't sing about it. They didn't talk about it. He had general rot, lost part of his lower teeth. And at 21 years old, he was having to get like dentures in his teeth because of jungle rot in the jungles of the Philippines. Wow. Liberation of the Philippines. But my point with all that is in World War II, we hated Ukrainians because half the Ukrainians Nazis. fought with Nazi Germany. Nazis. And the other yeah. half was with the Red Army, yeah. the, the, the Russian Red Army. And the things they did to the civilians on the Nazi side and yeah. on the Red Army side, we hated them both. Yeah. If you look at what Patton was saying about both of them, you realize, yeah, he was right. Right. They're not our allies. Mm-mm. No, they're not. But, you know, we absolutely insist. That's a separate discussion. We can talk about Ukraine. But here's the bottom yeah. line. They're, they're trying to get $100 billion into a theater, okay, where the commanders are refusing orders from their commander-in-chief to go push back on their adversary. Uh, they're falling apart. Why are you going to send $100 billion in cash and munitions to a bunch of people that can't get their freaking crap together? They've lost hundreds of thousands of troops. They're not going to win against the Russians, period. Mathematically, it's impossible. Why are you going to send $100 billion when we just racked up $33 trillion in debt? Who's going to pay that? No, Stupid. No, you, 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 you nailed it. The war is over. Um, they, they, they elected a comedian as their commander in chief. And he's literally a joke, knows nothing about the professional arms or, or combat. He's, he's lost over 400, 450,000 uh, Ukrainian soldiers. And they're probably his best people off the bat. It's over. Sir, lost. when your chain of command, when your general tells their commander in chief, no, I don't have any equipment. I got crappy morale. Everybody's freaking dying. You're out of your mind. We're not going. And that's where we're at right now today. I mean, recently, these generals yeah, are yeah, saying yeah. that. But we're yeah. sending money to them. Well, I, I got a feeling that the Ukrainian laundromat, you know, the money laundering is going. There's, a, there's some, you know, devious reason behind the scenes in which we're doing that. You know, they had their, basically their Secretary of Defense, they fired him, right, like a month ago. Yeah. Because he, 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 uh, he defrauded one billion with a B, one billion dollars from the defense funds that were coming in from like America and other nations. But Zelensky said, "Well, it wasn't American dollars that he took the billion from, so you know, don't be mad. Still send us more money." Yeah, that's the kind of things we're dealing with. You know, they are corrupt. They're never going to win this war. The only way now, and this is what should scare every American here, and we should really resist at all costs. The only way that they can have any chance of winning is to get NATO directly and connectly involved. And that's why I worry that they're going to do something stupid by provoking Russia to, you know, to attack or do a, a unprovoked attack or do attack themselves and say it was Russia yeah. on NATO soil to pull us into the conflict. Because right. it, as far as Ukraine goes, it's, it's done. They've lost. Done. That's right. That's exactly right. All right, sir. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back around and I'm, I'm going to uh, put you on the spot and invite you on. Hopefully we'll come back on because we have so much to talk about. This is an important time. We have to have these discussions um, because we're just uh, the governance that's going on. This, this old generation of people that came out of the 60s that, you know, they, they haven't had any, you know, r real life 
experience. They can't run a lemonade stand profitably for two weeks, but they're, you know, they're in control of the checkbook. Uh, we need a new generation of people to get stuff right so that our children and our children's children have a place to live that they'll be proud of. Um, we have a situation right now. There can be no doubt about it. I know you're smart. You're watching it. Um, Ukraine, you know, Israel, all that stuff. And I'm looking at freaking Afghanistan and I'm thinking to myself, holy crap. I heard uh, CIA uh, agent Sarah Adams, Patriot, and she was a targeter. And she said, this is what we did to Afghanistan. And we got a whole bunch of people when we bailed on Afghanistan, all the work that we did trying to get that place right, all the relationships that we that we built. Uh, Al Qaeda, you know, was training there. We obliterated the freaking Taliban, put them, put them out of business. And what did we do? In the end, we handed them $150 billion in freaking equipment. They're showing up at Hamas is running around with, with rifles that were, yeah. that were coming out of that inventory. We got oh, yeah. equipment. The Taliban, we now have an intelligence sharing agreement with the Taliban. And guess what? Everybody from Al Qaeda now is going back to Afghanistan to train. And everything that we did to at least make it a situation where you, that's not a training ground for terrorism. Now it's the uh, freaking headquarters for Al Qaeda. What did we just do but for 20 years? I think, I think what everybody needs to understand right now in three years, in three years of the Biden Harris administration, things are now worse in the world and at home than the day before 9 11. Yes. Sir. Um, they, everything's on fire and everything's connected. Um, we do have Hezbollah sleeper cells uh, in America. We do probably have Al Qaeda and other terrorist groups in America. We do definitely, as you can see, have sympathizers, terrorist sympathizers, uh, people that will not assimilate to America, that want to see the overthrow of America in America today. And underneath this administration, we've had 8 million immigrants come across the southern border. 2 million of them are gotaways. Of the, of the people that got caught, almost 300 were on the terror watch list. Uh, the two million dollar ways, how many of those would have been on the terrorist watch list? Plus, I'm also hearing, of? this is new, I don't know if you've heard about this. Afghanistan, the Taliban, are issuing passports. There's this migration into Afghanistan. You can get a brand new name and a passport. For what purpose? They're sending them up through the Darien Gap, and they're coming into America, pouring over the border right now. You, as a career special forces operator you know how we'll send the rangers in you know five six guys drop them in there and they'll they'll spin up a, a team of 150 locals and warriors that are gonna go they're gonna go combat the you know the terrible regime you know how that works are you yeah, recognizing yeah. that the same thing is happening here in the united states how we've toppled other governments uh it's it's happening right now in the united states they're in the united states training our dissidents to to go kinetic are they not well they, you know not not maybe the tactic might not so much be going kinetic although that's probably an option that's on the table especially with the hezbollah or the sympathizers from right but i think there's a more of a long-term approach into the destruction of america when you have politicians that you know just want to mean you know stay in power and enrich themselves the only way you enrich themselves like for instance a politician comes in is not a millionaire 
10, 20 years later, like Pelosi, 30, 40 years later, now you have 150 million to your name and all you were was a politician. How does that happen? Hmm. Well, you have to have longevity in a, in, a, in a political seat to enrich yourself to such a degree. So what, how, why, am I, why am I bringing that up? Because the calculation for the long run in the destruction of America has to do with self-serving, corrupt politicians who are basically looking the other way to allow illegal immigration, immigration from countries that will never assimilate to American culture to come into America to dilute the voting base um, and so that they can remain in power. For instance, why is Kamala Harris now saying, like, we need to start a campaign against Islamophobia when it was the Jews that were just murdered and killed and raped by radical Islamist terrorists, uh, namely Hamas? Well, the reason why is because they don't want to lose Michigan. There's so many Muslim immigrants that come in from all sorts of countries who a lot of them don't even like America, hate us, but are able to vote that if they disenfranchise them by saying the wrong things or come out too strongly against them, they'll lose the small amount of vote necessary to win Michigan. So they're going to appease them so they can selfishly stay in power to enrich themselves and their friends. So the dynamic are working together in this horrible mathematic calculus to the destruction of America, corrupt politicians working with outsiders, immigrants, and illegal aliens to undermine America, dilute the good American vote so they can have their will be done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I hope that makes sense. I don't know if that makes no, sense to everybody. I'm going to try to put it together. No, it absolutely does. Uh, and, and, and if you don't mind, not, not to clean up what you said, um, essentially, they will stop at nothing to keep power. Uh, even if it's at the expense of all of our ed- ideals and principles, everything that we've built, you know, corrupting all of our institutions. You remember, you know, the FBI is corrupt systemically. I mean, they're just doing really bad things. The Federal Bureau of Investigations that I all my entire life, it was the premier law enforcement agency. I mean, I, I lived my entire life thinking that and they're not that anymore. They're not going after the terrorists they're having. You know, uh, they're getting trained by care on how to be a little bit more sensitive uh, and, and, and not be Islamophobic. You know, that, that was the training that they were receiving. Um, so that's why the, the terrorist threat today in America is higher than ever before, because the government, and this, since we're talking about the FBI, has been weaponized against the American people. So who, who are their number one priorities of interest considering the the uh, constrained resources that they have yeah. are patriotic heterosexual Christian males in America yeah. is their number one target audience. So they pulled people off of human trafficking investigations. They pulled people off of pedophilia investigations, all these other, other things they should be focused on, let alone terrorism, right. focus them all on the January 6th protest folks right. and any heterosexual Christian patriot who said something on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah. And so that's taking up their bandwidth. So guess what? They've had not the, you know, the right amount of resources and bandwidth to look at all the terrorists that have been coming into our country from all over the world, but mainly through the southern border or just flying in through United with a, a passport given to them from the, their, their, their Islamic state. Mm-hmm. And they're here now and they've yeah. not been looked at at all because yeah. of limited resources. Yeah. So you're right. You're right in so many ways. Yeah. The existential threat to these these bureaucrats is if we don't battle you know, the Christian patriot, we're not going to be in existence. So 
<laughs> why, why waste our bandwidth on going after the terrorists? Let's declare these people to be terrorists and get a budget for surveilling them and arresting them. That's crazy. Well, when crazy. your Christian patriot is the number one entity that's trying to keep you honest and le- legit, yeah, that's yeah. your enemy. That becomes your enemy. We're that's the ones right. saying, speak the truth. Yeah. Uh, we got to get rid of that guy. He said, speak the truth. Listen, um, out of respect uh, for your time, we're going into the weekend. I spent 20-something years in Southern California. I, uh, my scheduler, uh, God bless her, uh, she said, oh, yeah, he's from your old stomping grounds, Coronado. I'm like, he's a Navy SEAL. All Navy SEALs are from, you know, they're from Coronado, right? And I said, Coronado yeah. is a military base. But uh, uh, Simi Valley area, San Diego, you said UCSD. My daughter graduated from UCSD. And that's, yeah, that's great God's, God's country right there in La Jolla, California. One of one of our best kept secrets in America, isn't it? Yes. No, we have a housing problem here. We don't need more people coming here. It costs over three thousand dollars to rent a one bedroom out here in San Diego now. And, and that's another talk. We, we need to talk about the economy of things because yeah. the good American people have been sold out by foreign investors and Chinese, especially here in San Diego. Our own children came in afford to buy or rent a place in the own backyard they grew up in. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Can you imagine? And that? that's a problem that we, we should be fixed. Where's where's all the people looking out for them? Where's all you know, the reason why California has a, a super democratic majority is because like one out of every four people now, well, all your multi-generational Californians are exiting California due to the policies here and over taxation without yeah. representation. One out of every four or maybe one out of every five people in California now are immigrants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And they want social services and handouts and whatnot, and they want Americans to pay for it. And that's why we're highly taxed without rep being represented. And so Americans like you and me are trying to leave or are leaving, yeah. which leaves a void, and all these immigrants are voting for people that are going to give them handouts. I've been gone for seven years, all right? And I, I renew my registration, yeah. you know, every two years. And I'm still shocked every time I go to the, the DMV. We call it the BMV out here. And I don't pay nine hundred dollars for my registration. It's twenty-seven bucks a year. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Is that amazing? No, it's amazing. It's incredible. So I wanted to feature and highlight that you're you're in a great place. And if you're going to battle against what's wrong in this country, California's ground zero. How to do? How to take a beautiful place and drive it into the freaking dirt? You know, fiscally this is a irresponsible. Case study on yeah. how to ruin. <laughs> You know, this was Ronald Reagan's state, right? Yes, yes. And it was great during that time with good governance and good leaders that actually care about their constituents. Imagine that, actually represented and care about the constituents. Dude. Think about how great we are now, how far we've come can because I, of these can folks, I tell, the Gavin Newsom's of the world. Can I tell just a brief war story to end our conversation here? And yeah. it's not a bad thing. To me, nostalgic and to know about our history. Uh, when I served under Ronald Reagan, I was at my last duty station. I got out medical, I told you. It was El Toro Marine Base. And yeah. Air Force One used to land at El Toro. My commander-in-chief, when he showed up on frickin' base, every Marine was so proud to serve under that man in a country that was so prideful. And, and there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. And they're trying to take that away from us. I say us OG elders push back and say there's some really good things that happened in our lives when we were growing up and we want that for our children your three sons i swear to you i will lay my life on the line uh 
for your three sons, you know, for our, our gener, the, these generations right now, I really, really, we, we've screwed things up. There's a, a gap there where we mess things up, but darn it, we can fix it pretty quickly. And we need people like you. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, you have to tell, uh, I want you to give out your links. You've got a show, you've got an association, tell everybody how they can stay in touch with you and support you and your efforts. Yeah, so the American War Association was uh, set up in 2018 to heal the moral injuries of those that serve our nation at home and abroad, the military, the veterans, the first responders, and that of their family. You know, the families are the silent supporters of every good American who's doing his duty uh, for those uh, of our nation. And so uh, we use God's love. You know, we, look, we use basically love, grace, and forgiveness and God's word to heal the souls of those folks out there that are serving our nation. And we have camps programs out in Colorado. We do it out in the, the mountains in our ranch and stuff like that. So go to the American Warrior Association.org, um, sign up for a program. If you know someone that's struggling, that's hurting, or just needs a reset in life so they continue their, their service, look us up. And, uh, and and we also have educational scholarships for those who want to improve their, their plot in life and get an MBA or something like that so they can magnify themselves because we believe in the geometric, geometric progression of goodness. So if you're doing great for yourself, and you're in a position where you can help out 10 other people, we want to help get you there because that is truly what the American dream is. Um, also, I, I just, you know, on the side with my son, I do the Beautiful War podcast where we talk about uh, winning, winning our wars, basically. In the first war, you have to win is with yourself. You have to win the fight for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to love yourself first. You have to get through your struggles and overcome the obstacles that are holding you down in life. So we talk to people about that because once you win your war, then you could help win the war for the people that you love. How old is your son? You. I so I have three sons. My oldest son's 28. He served nine years in the Coast Guard. Oh, he did. And he's, oh. about to be a he's about to be a police officer. And then my, if you need a good lawyer, my middle son graduated USD Law School. He's waiting on the bar result, but he's working for a firm right now, legal clerk in. And then my youngest son graduated UC Santa Cruz. Talk about being a banana slug and getting out of there. Beautiful campus, though. I don't know if you've ever been up to UC Santa Cruz. Yeah, oh, but yeah. That's it's beautiful real estate. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, he's out in D.C. right now. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think we do that. They, they need it. I'm glad your your son that went into the military. I think a lot of the younger generation they need to they need to, to do that. Just get get some military experience, just because of the environment that they're growing up in. It's almost a combat situation, you know. No, I agree. But you know, the reason why our military is hurting and struggling right now because, like, if you look at me, my grandfather served, my grandfather served, my father served, two of my older brothers and I served. Now my son has served. There's generational service within the, the warrior class of America, but that's waning right now because who wants to serve underneath the Daryl Lex in public office today who don't care about you? Joe Biden showed it. He showed it himself when he's looking at his watch as our, our fallen 14 in Afghanistan were being brought back. He didn't have time of day for them. He doesn't care about them, you know, and those that serve our nation. So a lot of parents, even like me, I'm like, son, you did nine. That's probably good enough for the Spencer tribe right now. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to risk uh, my children's life underneath the, the command That's that sad. we have right Isn't now. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? So sad. That's sad. And it's yeah. not because of the country. It's because of the leadership. That's right. Well, yeah, because they, 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 they will stop at nothing you know, they'll, they'll, to pursue their, you know, they're going to get promoted at the expense of all others. And, you know, lives are at stake. Sir, it's um, yeah. It's an honor. God does beautiful things. Uh, one last, last, final, final note. Um, 
how many do you think, and I'm saying broad stroke, um, ultimately, you're young, you're not even in touch. I oh, Shoot, I didn't even read the freaking Constitution. I didn't know what I, that was until I was like 40, you know, but I yeah. swore an oath to it. Uh, I didn't fully understand it and internalize it. But we need to bring God back into government. Nobody's going to be harmed by that. You know, good God, the people like our, our new speaker, he accepted the gavel and had a Bible in his left hand. No one's going to be harmed yeah. by that. When you were in the service and you came out in 2017 and you've got these seasoned warriors, what percentage of them do you think found God, especially through the situations that they went through? You have to admit there were circumstances where you say, only God got me through that one. Only God. Well, you probably heard you probably heard the term. There's no atheist in the foxhole, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I would say, you know, seventy about seventy five percent of the American is, military are have are, are Christian or have Christian values is or that Christian true? heritage. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. The I special mean, operations community is probably a little bit higher, and then it's a pretty dark place because when you're running and gunning and you know, and there's loss of life and you're taking lives, you know, some mm -hmm. people go to some pretty dark places. But I got to tell you. A lot of my friends who weren't believers find God when they're, when they're operating or as operators and after service, they find God even more so as far mm -hmm. as percentage wise, mm -hmm. because God is the one thing, nothing else could fill that void in a man's soul. No one else could love that soul other than your creator. God created you, thus he loves you. And when you're disconnected from that, you feel empty. You feel, you know, 75% full. You're not mm -hmm. complete. You're yeah. not, you know, the whole person. And you I know, think people are looking for that now more than ever. And do you know who, do you know who, world. yeah, do you know who Mike Lindell is? The pillow, uh, yeah. the pillow guy, yeah. right? He yeah. was an addict. You heard the story. I think you heard he was a crackhead, right? He was a crack addict. He's uh, publicly stated that, calls himself that. He met this guy named uh, Paul Lavelle, who, godly man, and he was running these camps um, for, PTSD, self-medicated, really, you know, suicidal. Uh, and, yeah. and, and the only th thing through his experience that got his most successful, you know, uh, uh, stories uh, are PTSD. I mean, just people just suffering, as you know, uh, because of what they were exposed to um, was God. And that's yeah. how he ran. And Mike Lindell went into his camp uh because he had failed yeah. many times because he was gonna quit cocaine and and he just didn't he, yeah. once he accepted god into his life he's that's where all of his strength came and i think we need that for for healing a lot of uh a lot of our veterans right now that are struggling um no a hundred percent because you know look you could try man's way in a lot for all kinds of things but the truth of the matter is there's 8 billion humans walking on the earth right now, and not one of us are the same. Mm -hmm. Some of us might look physically the same, but everybody is different because they have a soul that resides inside of them. And that soul yearns to be connected to what created it. And it's a spiritual thing, it's an energy thing. I know in our programs at the American War Association, we've saved lives, we've saved marriages, we made fathers become fathers mm -hmm. because now they see the truth in the light. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty simple. Love, grace, and forgiveness. And those are the three things that you can only get from God and that he gives it to you with no cost. That's it. Pretty simple. We're going to end on that note right there. That's everything we need to be about. Amen. Amen to that. Sir, I'm glad we connected. I look forward to having you back on again. 
Anytime, Pete. Thank you so much for what you do. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. 